Hello and welcome to another episode of The Bacon Burgers. Who have we got tonight? We've got uh, Rubes in the house tonight, bringing it back. JL, rocking it old school. And you've got Lockie. Um, we're all here. We've um, It's been a couple of months, boys. Yeah, it's been a while between drinks. There's, uh, yeah, Rubes. Yeah. What have you been doing, mate? Um, well, i got to be honest, I have not done a lot of hobby bolt action-wise in the past couple of months. Blasphemy. I know, for shame. Done a bit of test of honour, though. Um, been enjoying that. Um, and I'm going to re- do a bit of refurb on some of my DAC before a, a certain upcoming event. So, uh, so uh, yeah, um, looking forward to a bit of desert action, which I'm sure we'll talk about a bit later on. Absolutely. I can see you holding your, um, your new... British Desert Sprue. Yes, uh, Warlord Games was kind enough to send me a Sprue of the British, uh, along with a very nice uh, thank you note for being a customer. Um, I've got to say, I do like the new miniatures. I do like the look of them. A bit chunkier than the Perry miniatures, but uh, good variety on the Sprue. Uh, JL pointed out uh, we're looking at Indian heads, um, we're looking at uh, British heads and Scottish heads. Scottish heads, heads Tam O'Shanters. Yes, so a bit of variety there. And um, Are they on there? That's awesome. Yeah, have, have a look. Yeah, the top. We've got uh, oh, quite yeah. a variety of the heads oh. there. Well, it's not super good for um, for a podcast medium, but no, they they, they look. Be- they, no, honestly, those of you in listeners <laughs> land, jump on the wall on website with your and have a look. Psychic powers. That, that's right. No, they they look awesome. It's just one sprue, as, as you said, sent to you courtesy by Warlord, which is um, I think that's pretty cool. But I, I think the fact that they've got um, you know, twenty or so, no, yeah, twenty or so different heads. Um, I yeah. think that's. That, and that's one one sprue. I think that's really sweet. Um, and it's the right direction that the warlord's going in. Yeah, well, I'll be looking at... Um, I'm actually going to turn those into a Maltese Defence Force. Um, so the Indian heads I'm actually going to use towards my 950th uh, battalion, the, the Indians in the service of uh, the Germans. So uh, they'll come yeah. in uh, handy for that. Oh, really? Yeah. Did nice. any of them actually fight? Or was that like the Legion of St. George where it was no, no, just they, something they that did never see, happened? I, my understanding is they did see a bit of uh, combat action in France. Uh, I think they may have tangled with the Canadians briefly uh, before withdrawing. And towards the end, there was a uh, company or battalion size that tried to skirt around a particular lake east or near Berlin somewhere trying to get away. Uh, but got cut off by the uh, the allies and captured. So. Did, did they try any of them if they were captured? Or what, th- what, what happened to them? From memory, I think a lot of them were given immunity at the end. They were pardoned. Um, 
because I, I know that uh, that British SS formation, which only ever had about ten guys, uh, in it. about thirty six, I think it was in the the British Legion. Yeah, but um, they they sent most of them to prison. Yeah, um, yep. Yeah, they didn't um, come out too well. I know that um, when they formed the Indian Legion, they sent about a hundred back to India to start uh, like a, a rebel movement or underground uh, guerrilla groups. I think a lot of those actually were put to death, but um, mm. the ones in Europe, I think most of them were uh, eventually. Uh, released and sent back to India. Right there, you go. Well, um, as you as we kind of led on though, this episode will be um, pretty heavily on the new Desert War book, which I'm um, the Western Desert, as it is, um, which I'm pretty keen for. I actually got it, uh, picked it up from the post office about two hours ago, <laughs> um, which. Uh, Luckily, I did because Rubes' one didn't come in the mail um, no, just I, yet. I did pre-order the uh, the starter set, so that, that did ship after the book. So usually, I'll get a, a digital one through through work, but there's about a three month delay before um, before they digitise it and, mm. and put it up. So oh, really? I haven't had a chance to to look at it yet. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I've just had a um, little bit of a flip through um, on the on the way from like on the on the train on the way here. Um, and it's such a big book. There's like 100, over 160 pages. It is one of the the biggest uh, Warlord books for for bolt action that I've seen so far, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, the only one I can think of that's that's equivalently chunky like that was Bulge and Market Garden's not quite as big. No, but I think Bulge I, was pretty pretty. I big. reckon this actually tops um, Market Garden I, and Bulge. For I'm sure. Size. I'm sure it's the biggest. Look, I I haven't seen uh, uh, those two. But the New Guinea book is about 130 pages, so it's, it's yeah. add 30 pages to that. I mean, like mm. it's it's getting big, and I mean that it, they needed it to be that big, right? Like there's so much content. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we're gonna we're gonna be talking about that in um, in a little bit. We're gonna do that in the next segment. Um, now we're we're talking hobby. So Rubes, tell me. I mean, what 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 hobby have you been doing? Uh, like I said, I've done a bit of Test of Honor. My niece has uh, gotten right into that. So uh, to keep her gaming going, I've been doing the Test of Honor. Um, we've done a little bit of work on her, her French army. Um, so she's starting to learn to paint some French. We've got her a command group. So you're, um, so you, you two are doing a bit of a campaign, aren't you, for the fall of France? Yeah, yep. So my niece really wanted to try bolt action, uh, which as a, every uncle should, I encourage her to get into gaming. And um, she started a French army, so I said, right, we'll play a bit of a, a narrative campaign over the fall of France, and we'll run your miniatures, we'll replace my miniatures with yours as you get them and paint them, uh, which she's enjoying. So um, done a bit of that. Uh, but other than that, for myself, bolt action-wise, it's sort of hit and miss. I've done bits and pieces, uh, done a little work on a couple of couple more Marines for the Wake Island, mm-hmm. which I'm looking at possibly running for CanCon next year. Um so what, what, what's the Wake Island? So US Marine Corps from uh, 1941. So at the same time Pearl Harbor was getting hit, the Japanese moved a force towards Wake Island, which is in the middle of the Pacific, and decided to uh, to take over the base there because it was quite strategic. Mm-hmm. And there was, I think, uh, about 400 Marines stationed there. And they put up a fight for a day or two and then, um, then surrendered because there's no chance of them getting reinforced. No, absolutely. If Pearl Harbor's getting bombed, then they're um, yeah, yeah. Like, they're really capitulating. So it's an interesting force because they've got the uh, the British style tin hats on, uh, same as the fall of the Philippines. or the Marines there were wearing the old style uniform, using the old weapons, the Lewis guns and the like, um, and the tin hats, which is quite a different look for a for an American army. That's cool, and it's it's like it's early war for the for the Americans, really, isn't it? Like pretty much as, uh, as early as day it, one as it gets. Yeah. 
Um, so I'm sure that uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what, what that kind of force looks like, what you can come up with. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting because there's no vehicles involved. Um, they had a couple of trucks on the island and that was about it. Uh, did, no, no Stuarts? No Stuarts. <laughs> Philippines did though, so I may add one uh, down the track as a, so I can do a uh, fall of Philippines force. Uh, but for Wake Island, it's basically machine guns, infantry, and a bit of um, naval artillery and AA guns sort of thing. So not a huge variety. So it'll be an interesting list to run and see how it actually fares out. That'll be fun, um, particularly at a thousand points as well. Like that's a that's a lot of in- infantry if you're not filling out the points with. Um, yeah, with, yeah, with it's going to be a bit of a slog getting them done. But I'd, I'd imagine that you know at that point, are they how are they rated for that that uh, theatre selector? Uh, I don't think there's actually a specific Wake Island theatre selector. So I'll basically just be running a straight Marine force. Um, I'm going to choose to ignore the American special rule of the, uh, the without the minus one to on the move because they're all running bolt action rifles at that stage still running the old Springfields um, and I'll just run them as a stock standard I think just uh, just so themed around it re- regulars or veterans or? Uh, oh, pushing. I haven't read the book for a while I've got to admit <laughs> um, uh, I think that it'll be running at regulars from memory uh, most of them had seen service overseas anyway prior to, to posting um, most of the Marines had seen a lot of um service around the Philippines and the, the guerrilla wars that were going on there. Um, some of the old, real old hands still were veterans from World War One and, and sort of the interwar period. So I might run a few veteran squads in amongst it just to eat up a few points just to to make the army a bit more manageable rather than having a horde of Marines. No, that's cool. I mean, um, would you be... I mean, I'm a big fan of native troops and that kind of thing. Would, would, is that something you'd be able to put in? I'm not, not sure. Not for Wake Island, no? but uh, for the Philippines, um, I'd have to have a look in the books and that, but uh, obviously the, the Filipinos uh, fought alongside the Americans uh, resisting the Japanese invasion. So, I mean, for I might add some, some natives uh, or some Filipino guerrillas into the, the mix for, to make a Philippine list, but um, Wake Island now is pretty much just straight Marines. Although um, they did have naval personnel, marine aviators and civilians on the island as well. So it'll allow, allow for a bit of variety rather than just the, uh, the sandy marine uniform. It's, I think it's um, pop action miniatures make um, some US naval troops, mm. um, sort of interwar period and a few sort of like gangster types, which I might add it as, um, as uh, inexperienced squads. Or Yeah, I was about to say, would they like as part of the battle or whatever um, for those couple of days were, were they part of the resistance like the, the civilian most of the civilians of were shipped off before the, uh, the the full force was hit on the island um, but there were about 30 or 40 I think civilian contractors still on the island I don't think a lot of them actually took part in the defence I think they stayed as straight civilians but for for a tabletop game, it'll it'll add a bit of variety to the force and oh, for um, sure as a, as a bit of a what if kind of thing yeah like a couple yeah. of makeshift um, yeah a couple of sm- squads. small squads of makeshift guys just with rifles just uh, just chilling in the sun in a little <laughs> island in the uh, Pacific Ocean why not um, yeah that's awesome mate right? um, so anything else no not like a lot to be honest um, been flat out at work and doing some long hours so uh, upholding the law yeah yeah um, I've got a couple of weeks off coming up so that's going to be two weeks of hobby time just solid hopefully smash out an army yeah so you're doing some free french no i mean i've been doing my vichy french um i mean geez it feels like i've been doing this for ages um i'm sure the listeners will be sick of me hearing about my my bloody french um oh uh news about my my house (laughs) 
the Frenchman's moving out next week. <laughs> so there won't be any more French apart from my foreign Maybe legion. Belgians my... just to... No, we're getting some Irish people. You might come, they might come back in about three years' time. <laughs> no! <laughs> no, no, no. We'll, we'll make sure that doesn't happen. No, we're actually getting some Irish people, um, an Irish couple, which would be nice, um, keep, keeping up the multicultural... Uh, Fitzroy House would be great. <laughs> no, um, yeah, as I'm sure the listeners are aware, I've been doing my French for quite a while now. Um, and what was really holding me back, I think, was um, I'm doing the army, like it's all metal, right? So from from different ranges, wall, uh, mainly from actually pretty much all from Artisan. Um, but also a lot of the vehicles from Mad Bob, mm. from uh, the Rubicon. So, I mean, like, it's it's not a cheap army, um, and that was holding me back a little bit. But uh, in the last couple of months, I've actually gotten a job, which is, like, great. I feel like a bit of a corporate sellout, but... Um, hey, if it can't come in on the table, it's all, it's all good. <laughs> what, putting my my bold-action army on the table. <laughs> Puts a bold-action army on the table, it's all my good. My children, they, they need lead. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, that's basically what it feels like. No, so the first thing, the first paycheck I got... Um, Basically, I, I spent two hundred bucks get uh, um at art, uh, like on an order from Artisan and two hundred bucks on a, a Mad Bob order, um for, for all the vehicles. Um, so I've got it all. It's all sitting there. So it's a North African theme for your for it's for, it's, for it's you now the 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 Syrian uh, and yep, the, yep. and um, Lebanon. So it's the Army of the Levant. Could um, even uh, might even be able to double up for Madagascar, the British oh, raiders. Madagascar for the ships. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, it's at the end of the day, they're they're all um, like foreign legion models, um, so they can be used um, in different sections. But I've because I've heavily themed it. So a couple of like the command models have um, the MP forty two SMGs, for example. Um, I'm using the the Renault um, medium tank. Not the Renault. Not the Renault. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, no, the light tank, um, which, you know, there was, there was a bunch of them in, um, in the Levant. And I've got a bunch of, um, and these are actually my favorite models. Um, it's all the, um, the Levantine infantry and oh, nice. um, from Artisan. So they're basically, um, I think the models are basically from like World War One era kind of thing, like the Arab uprising. And, Basically, I've never seen them on the table, and I've I bought a bunch of them. They're really cool, and also the um, bunch of cavalry for for them. So I'll basically I'll be using the cavalry as all the spahi kind of. Is that how you say it? Spahi? No, no idea. not at all. No, no idea. None, so, none it's, whatsoever. It's, 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 sounds, sounds legit. Yeah. So all the spahi kind of um, uh, either, either the Tunisian or Algerian kind of um, Are they, cavalry. Horses or camels. No, they're, they're, they're horses. They're, oh. There was some camels I could have gotten, but I... I, I want to set fire to a camel. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> like Conan. Yeah, <laughs> just, just punch it, it knock it out. No, that, again. Well, well, Hudson, like the same, same range has the camel cavalry, and, but they're a little bit expensive, a little bit more expensive. Um, so I, I went with the, with the horses, and, I, and it was actually a nice surprise because basically they've got it, um, like the swords and stuff, um, like they're waving around swords, obviously they're charging stuff, um, but they've actually, um, on their backs and stuff, they've got, like they, they do have rifles, which I didn't really, I didn't realise in the pictures that they, when I bought them, so it was a nice surprise. You, you could just about get a box of the um, Gripping Beast 
uh, Arab cavalry, like medievals, and just glue a rifle just to the back. Glue a rifle, yeah, or onto the saddle. Or oh, something. I totally could. I don't yeah. need to now, which is great. <laughs> um, but I, so basically, they're sitting there. They're all base. They're getting. Um, the thing is, we'll talk about this in, um, soon. But my hobby has basically been a bit of a, a blitz. I've been trying to get these all all up and running. Hopefully, uh, from the time of recording, Brad's uh, desert event is about two two weeks away. Yep, sun's out, guns out. Yeah, um, I'm pretty pretty excited for that one. But it's been a bit of a blitz to get that ready. Um, it won't be complete. It'll certainly be through color minimum, um, which is a bit of a shame because I'm kind of like it's a perfect event for them because it's you know it's desert themed, desert blah thing, blah yeah. blah, um, and I'm kind of going like I'm not like. I'm a decent painter, but I'm not the best painter, so I'm never, ne- never, probably never going to win a painting award. But I, I want to win. I want to go for like a Hannah Swear kind of theme yeah. award, and this this army is that. Like that's my attempt at it. It's like it's very heavily themed. It's not like something that's out of the New Guinea book for for my Australians, where it's heavily themed, but it's just like it's literally out of a book. Yeah, like I've yeah. had to like go out out of my way to do, do this research, research um, and get something on the table that represents something from. From um, it is a, a bit of a more obscure part of World War Two as well. Yeah, you don't often hear about that sort of Middle Eastern campaign all that much. Um, it's it's. I mean, World War One you hear a lot about it, like with the Australian Light Horse and Bathsheba and the like. But World War Two, it's almost like it's a very obscure sideshow. No, absolutely. Um, and so I've been reading. Um, I've just finished it actually. Um, Jail's book that he lent me, um, Australia's War with France, which which really covers the Australian. Um, and British uh, kind of campaign in the Levant. And basically what it says, and like it totally makes sense when it says this, but um, at, at that time, uh, basically Operation Barbarossa had just been launched in, in Eastern Europe. Um, and like that was, that was all the rage, obviously. Like that was all mm. the news. Everyone was focusing on that. So, so like this campaign that was probably like pretty important for the Allies obviously was put put to a side show. Well, and I, I think the the other reason for that is that, you know, it, it was so politically sensitive um, that, you know, they really wanted to minimise the fact, oh, we're fighting people that are technically or were up until very recently our allies and still a lot of them were at that, at that point. Um, I certainly think they tried to tone down the um, uh, events in... Uh, with the attacking the navy, um, yeah, Madagascar. I mean, it's not a well-known. Well, the, when they they attacked the the um, f- North African fleet and pretty much, I think they killed over a thousand yeah, French d- sailors. And they scuttled and... almost the entire navy. Same at Madagascar, they scuttled every French ship they come across, pretty much. Did they? Yeah, which is like obviously a huge no-no for um for the British kind of propaganda kind of thing. Like they're trying to yeah. say, oh, the French are our, our our allies. We're trying to we're we want to liberate France. How can we yeah. liberate France if we're fighting France? It's yeah. kind of like a catch twenty two. But there, then it's isn't interesting it? when you you look right into it. The the feelings uh, at the time in France itself, where the country itself was just as divided. You got one side that will say anyone who collaborates is an enemy of France anyway, um, and then you got the other side saying, well. We've been conquered. We just have to make do. Um, yeah, they so like particularly the Vichy administration. From you know, from the limited reading I've I've done, they they you know they basically accepted it and they were like, well, you know, we want to make our 
make sure that our part in Hitler's Europe is kind of like the strongest it can be. Like, yeah. Because like, yeah, as you said, we've been constantly Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's fair enough. I mean, at the end of the day, they didn't, they didn't know what would happen in 1945, really, like yeah. 44, 45, um, which is super interesting. But anyway, I've, so that's been my, my hobby in terms of bolt action. Um, basically just pa- uh, assembling, well, I mean, there's a lot of scraping and basing. And then um, I've been undercoating and putting base coats on all my my infantry. I've I've just uh, bought a, a spray can of desert yellow, which is going to be super helpful for all my vehicles from Mad Bob. Um, it's gonna that's gonna save me a lot of time. Uh, so hopefully my my French army will be on the table at least three color minimum for, for Brad's event. Speaking of vehicles and hobby, I saw that recently you were painting up a tank and had a few uh Yeah, tell us interesting about the adventures there. Oh my lord. So it was a bit of a <laughs> bit of a disaster. No, so I got this beautiful kit from Rubicon. Um I got a Panther because uh, I was kind of I wanted to I've never painted a, a big cat before. Um I, I wanted to give it a go. Um and geez when you open it it's like it's so much bigger than all the tank, little <laughs> tanks I've got. The Renault, like Jesus, the, compared to the Renault or the or my Matilda, like Jesus, it's um it's massive. But so basically, I don't own an airbrush, and I've never never tried an airbrush. And so I've, I was kind of I was looking online, um to see, oh uh, you know what techniques can you use to paint um German camouflage, like kind of late war camouflage without an airbrush. And I came up came across a good one. Um, that was basically saying, uh, uh, sh- kind of showed you how to do it with, um, you know, like cotton earbuds kind of thing. Um, and it looked okay. And I was like, oh yeah, I could do that. But it turns out it's, it's a lot harder to, to do like, you know, if you want to do random patterns, it's a lot harder to do random patterns than you think it is because yeah. like, <laughs> so, so did you use like earbuds, like as an ear cleaner? Like, yeah, yeah. Like ear cleaners. Oh no, you use a bit of a sponge, man. That's, that's the, the way to do that's, it. That's the best thing about a blister pack is that bit yeah. of sponge that comes in it. Well, I use that to, um, I, like I did use a sponge to do the like the base coat, so like you know, do the base coat of like it was bone white or not or whatever it was, um, and wash it and then and then build up the the, the kind of highlights with the sponge. But then for the uh, for the camouflage, brought on the earbuds uh, for for the greens, the browns, and the yellows. The yellows I was particularly not super happy with. Um, and so I sent, I did, I sent in the chat so to you guys. Where, so where, where does the yellow come into it? Well, that it was in the article. It said there was some yellow in it. Well, the, the base coat is yellow. Yeah. The Dunkelgelb. Dunkelgelb or, was or middle No, stone. it was, it was the, the no. base coat wasn't, wasn't yellow. It was, it was like a bony color, not white, like a, you know, a bone, um, which you know, I was I was happy with how that turned out, but then I kind of I, I butchered the camouflage a little bit, <laughs> and uh, it looked we've all been there. It looked like a like a, you know like a toddler's art smock almost. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't great, um, uh, and that was my first attempt. You know, people say, oh, you should you should practice these kind of things on something that's not a fifty dollar tank. <laughs> but then, then again, a lot of tanks when they rolled out to units came in their base color and. Basically came out with two pots of paint and a and a mop. Yeah, they just sent it with petrol. Yeah, and a mop. Any, yeah, anything yeah. they could, right? Like yeah. they were just kind of yeah. ordered. Oh, just make sure it's. There was no <laughs> you know, real camouflage set. or whatever. Is here's a guideline of what we want. Mm-hmm. Have at it. 
Yeah, and, then, and that's oh, that's basically what I did. No, to be honest, um, uh, since I sent the, those initial photos and said, "Oh, this is how you you stuff up paint in camo," or whatever, you, whatever I said, um, I, I gave it another good wash, and it like I actually I highlighted the colours and then gave it another good wash, and it's I mean it's fine, it's passable now. Um, what what wash were you using? Uh, Games Workshop non oil, okay. so just like a black wash. Because like I I, I find um, wash washes on anything bigger than a figure, mm. um, they will pull in weird oh, ways. Yeah. Of, so I, yeah. I, I I instead of using that, I mean the the Vallejo washes are formulated; they're much much thinner. Um, and and you can't water down the GW ones because yeah. it, it separates, and you end up with a white residue. Yeah. Um, where it separates the the medium and the the actual pigment as well. Yeah, if you water the it other, down too much. The other much, um, yeah. trick I, I've always found with with that later stage of the the process. I, mean, I I any of the German tanks I put on the table, they've usually had about four coats of varnish at different stages of the the paint, mm. so that you're not affecting what's underneath that coat. Yeah. You, you just seal it up and go. Okay, I'm done with that stage. Now we move on to the the next one. Um, but part of that also is that um, the glossier the surface is, the more you get that capillary action that pulls your wash only into the bits where you want it, uh, and and it doesn't get it on a flat flat panel. Um, yeah, that's always the struggle, isn't it? When, yeah. as you said, like it builds up in the in those panels. Yeah, which is you might also want to look yeah. at if you're going to stick with GW washes, maybe like a, the sepia wash. Rather than a black wash, yeah, so I've got the CPU wash. Tone. Yeah, I've got the CPU wash for my for my desert stuff, mm. um, which works really really nice. Yeah. You use oils, don't you? Dale, yeah, yeah, um, I, I use oils. I mean, you can you can get um, Mig Productions, um, Vallejo. They they do nice stuff with with enamels, but really all it is is various combinations of um, a solvent thinner and and an oil mm. medium. Um, the only difference between it is how Finally, the pigments ground. Um, yeah, I, I use student grade oils. Um, buy them from the two dollar shop. They're about five bucks a five bucks a tube. Um, in all of my years, I've never run out of it because <laughs> yeah, well, you, well, you, once you invest, uh, you've got yeah, it yeah, and now. it's it's five bucks. You know, it's not a not a big outlay. And then the the GW ones are like eleven bucks. So they've and they yeah. made them um, like they made them taller in recent in the last couple yeah, of years. So they've gone and up I've to heard this twelve mil, I think. There, whereas the old ones were six mil, so they've basically doubled in volume. Mm. And I've, mm. I've, I've heard this conspiracy theory is quite funny actually that um, they made them that that much taller because so like if you knock it over on the, on your yeah. desk or whatever, like because it's a wash, <laughs> well, it'll go the, everywhere. The other thing I yeah. have yeah. to buy those, it again <laughs> with those bottles because I. I Really fucking hate the fasteners on them. Yeah. They dry out like you wouldn't believe. Um, I mean, my, my desk over here in the corner, it cops a bit of sun. Um, I've actually put a shade cloth uh, in that window to, to stop that because it was drying out yeah. um, my paints. But um, most of that uh, G-Dub stuff that's there is cactus. Um, it's The newer, yeah, I mean, the that, newer lines seem to dry a lot quicker than the old ones, but it's also the formula. Like the very old, so around first and second ed sort of 40k i think there was a bit of lead in some of that which stopped it from drying out as much i, I think the the other thing with the as i've as i've been told with the the g-dub paints um they're not true acrylics in the sense that uh there's a gel medium 
in there as well. Which See, that wouldn't surprise me because I've got a couple of pots of that Lamian medium, which is yeah. the clear medium for, for GW, and it goes very gluggy as it dries. It doesn't evaporate. It becomes very gluggy. Because um, I used to use that to thin down the GW paints. Now I actually just use a... Um, it was about $17 for a proper um, surface tension breaker from an art store, which I find works a lot better. Also, now I'm using a lot of Valero colours with um, breaking them down a bit on the on a palette as well. Mm. So, yeah, nice. Yeah, no, I need to I need to use some more Valero paints. I've been using them, um, like particularly the, de- the the yellows and stuff like that for for the Foreign Legion. But I've actually noticed. I don't know if, you, if this has been your experience, guys, but um, when I water it down a little bit, sometimes it can it can make uh, the, like the paint can turn out as bubbles and stuff like that on like in the cracks and crevices. Have, have you you guys uh, noticed? No, that? I've, no, I've not had that. Never but had um, that. you've got to shake the shit out of it. Yeah, you really do have to. And yep. it's if you if you're going to convert, yeah, you know, I, I don't don't know whether you're one of those people that it's like me and you just end up with paint everywhere, <laughs> as in you end up with lots of bottles of it. Um, just buy some glass beads. You know, don't don't go with metal because, you know, you're buying a little ball bearing from China. It might say it's stainless steel, but it's not, and you get rust in your yeah. in your paint. Unless you're going for that effect, of course, I suppose. Old <laughs> <laughs> death guard. Yeah. Just just some little glass beads, and every time you buy one of those little eye droppers, drop a glass bead in there, and really. Wait, agitate sorry, the what shit was it? Was it doing like the the well, glass? It's just blade? agitating it. The same way okay. when you shake a rattle can, you can hear there's yeah. something in it that goes. Yeah. Or you can always do like Bart said and, you know, go to the dentist and collect kids' teeth, uh, rattle in the can. Oh, wait, you don't do Simpsons that? Simpsons reference. <laughs> can use those for witchcraft. <laughs> they have lots of uses. So I've, yeah. I've got, um, so I, I've quite a lot of layer. I'm very much a paint-by-the-numbers type of guy. I get a painting guide. It says use base coat for this uniform, 921. I go, okay, 921. Do, do this one, 876. I go and get an 876. But I find storing the Velo upside down as well also helps a lot because when I go to paint with it, I then flip it back the right way up so mm-hmm. I can sit on my desk in front of me and that helps keep it agitated a bit too. But yeah. um, the, the glass beads aren't quite a good idea. I might and, try and some that. Of the, some of those colours are really prone to separating. Yeah. Um, much more than oh, others. Yeah. I find the yellows really do. See, um, yellow comes out of a very light pigment and a, a clear base and the clear base is always harder to get the pigment in. Um Behind the scenes, I used to work in a paint store years and years ago when I was first out of uni. So I got to see a bit behind the Back in the, the day. <laughs> Back in the day. A much younger, more youthful, brighter rubes. How long was your hair? Um, oh, no, I've always had the short hair. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's disappointing. <laughs> Old school conservative family, always had the short hair. Um, not too short, was never allowed to shave it fully, but always short. I could see you with some dreadlocks, actually. No. Oh, no. <laughs> no. I'm going too too light on top. I, I oh, don't well, think now, I could, now, but now I I, in your younger days, I could have pictured. Anyway, go on, go on, go on. But um, so your reds and yellows come from a clear base. So it takes a lot more pigment to get your coverage and color in there. And that's why when you paint, um, like particularly yellow over black, you'll get like a, it comes up green almost depending on the type of paint you're using because the pigment's so thin that the colors show through. And, and that's why you're doing the, the biggest pig of a, of oh. a color. So I've got that in Imperial Fists yeah. army oh. downstairs, oh. which is the only, the only G Dub army, uh, one of the very few that I, I kept in the the Great Liquidation. Uh, I paid for an enormous chunk of my wedding, culling and selling my <laughs> my G Dub armies, and I, I kept the Imperial Fists because I think 
it was such an achievement to actually get that a yellow. solid, consistent yellow without using the rattle cans. They're, it's um, it's built off of brown. Where, yeah, well, how yeah. long ago did you paint that as well? Like, uh, that's a relatively recent one. That's only about it's probably about five years old now. Oh, is so is that yeah. would that be before the GW switched their their paints over to the new kind of new range? Yeah, yeah, it was it was at the tail end before they started. The new range actually, some stuff. of the the new base colors actually, I find quite good for coverage um, for those lighter colors. I don't, I'm not sure. Yeah, I used to go through lots and lots of Eand and Dark Sun. Yeah, because um, it's it's the only uh, yellow that will base coat over black yep. that I've I've ever found, and it's yeah. not a bad not a bad base coat for doing Dunkel Girl. Over yeah, either. yeah, it's um, it's a, it's a nice because it, it's got that, like you said, it's got that consistency and nice coverage, which um, some of their new base base colors or can't remember exactly what they call them, but their um, that particular line is quite good for their lighter colors for their white. Um, I think it's it's not skull white because that's the the layer one. I mean, ceramite white or something like that's another mm. one. Really good for painting white over darker colors as well. Um, doesn't show a lot of the under under coloring. You don't have to do as many coats. Yeah, I try and do, um, like, depending on what I'm painting, I, I try and use spray cans or whatever, like, for, for an undercoat that kind of reflects it. Like, if it's, yeah. if it's a lighter spray what do, what do spray you paint. What do you um, undercoat your metals with? Um, uh, all, all my Foreign Legion stuff, I've been undercoating um, the Army Army Painter Spray. It's um, I think it's a British khaki. No, not okay. British khaki. British, do you, British do, you, do you run an etch primer on it? What is an etch primer? <laughs> okay, an etch, etch primer... Um, aka auto primer that that is the shit for doing your your yep. metals because um it's it's quite acidic and it actually eats or etches itself into the surface of the the metal On, only one or two microns deep but enough that it gives it a texture that your paint will grip um so you don't get paint sliding yeah. off your your highlights because the surface of your model is too too smooth Really, I have I've never actually had that that issue though. It's like, like if you were to paint on yeah. glass, like perfect glass, your paint's gonna slide. Like you put your paint on the glass and turn it upright, it's gonna start sliding down. There's nothing for it to grip. No, so oh, actually, I've I've had that issue with with resin. Of yeah. course, like I'm sure everyone has. Yep. Like, yeah, you get that you real glass like finish the resin. Properly. And th yeah. this shit's great for resin. Yeah. Works on resin too. Yep. Yeah. Um, get it from Bunnings. It's not expensive. About six bucks a can. It, it's a nice medium grey. Um, Grey is such a good color as well to base coat things in because like you can build anything off it. It's yeah, it's that nice middle ground between your ultra bright white and your real dark black. Mm. Yeah, for sure. So so JL, what have you been doing in the hobby? Yeah, I've I've been busy lately. Um, so I've been uh, knocking out these uh, rough and SS guys on the desk here. Uh, they're they're for a commission. I'm hopefully going to be able to finish that up in the next week or so. They're looking good. Yeah. Is that is it just them? How many is that? Like 30 uh, dudes? There's, there's 30 there. So they're, they're the um, recent-ish Warlord Plastics. Um, there's about another seven, eight guys. There's a mortar team and the command no, command pack as well. No vehicles? No, nah, nah, no vehicles in this one. Um, I finished off the uh, winter, winter Germans. Um, so as you... I've fielded, fielded them a couple of times. Um, I've got a 1941-ish era uh, winter German army in the greatcoats. Uh, picked up the plastics box and gave them pretty much all uh, MP44s, 
which means running them together, I've got a whole Volksgrenadier army. Nice. So yeah. five squads of ten men with the uh, so the five free quote unquote um, MP44s, four guys with rifles and a and a machine gun. Do, do they get? Uh, hang on, do they get SMGs for free in in that setup? Well, they're, they're a little bit more expensive than your usual green troops because that factors in the the cost of the. Um, but the extra five guys that if you if you don't upgrade them with the MP44s are exactly the same as a standard green one, mm-hmm. but you get that bonus that they're not just green, they're super green. Um, <laughs> if you roll successfully on that green chart, they, they go up to regular, you can go again and they might become veteran. How many times has that actually happened to you? Uh, it's, it happens. It does, yeah. It happens, and the more of them you have, the more likely it is to to happen this is true um and that that can be a real game changer because suddenly you've got a 10-man veteran squad <laughs> with five mp44s and an smg in there yeah. it, it, it's like the the old hands are like gathering new uniforms and going if we just put on these and look like we're brand new they won't ask ask us to do anything at all we could just hide over here like oh wait crap <laughs> <laughs> surprise veterans yeah. well exactly but it's also like a kind of a tactical um thing as well like uh, the enemy will be look at them and be like, man, if I shoot them with a couple of rifles, they could t- just turn in veteran like that. Like, I don't really want that. I'm yeah, not going yeah. to. I'm not going to shoot them. Why would I do that? Because yeah. it, other- it really discourages people to go you know, until that role has been made. Um, if they understand how that mechanic works, it's like don't shoot them unless you're firing HE. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like either either they don't shoot them because they don't want that veterans, or they go. Oh, there's there's five or six of them. Can I wipe them all out in one round of shooting? Can I, al- you know, alpha blast them out of existence so I don't have to worry about that roll? No, it happens the very first time it takes a casualty. So you take your first casualty and then you oh, and do then it. you roll and then oh yeah. So you, you the worst thing you could do is kill one guy and then they become become <laughs> veterans, right? Um, so yeah, like either I guess a HE or I mean if. If you get a good uh, good line of shooting with a bunch of SMGs or something, yeah. but and so so the end game for that is that um, uh, so I've got the not Americans um, in their winter uniforms, the so Panzer Brigade one fifty guys. I can't believe it's not Americans. Yeah, we are American. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> with uh, with, uh, with do, Donald, do. Donald Trump uh, <laughs> leading them. Um, <laughs> can, can you please do that? Oh, I've done it. I took it to. I took it. Wait, to wasn't, your he, thing. wasn't his dad German or something? Yeah, yeah. There you no, go. His yeah. grandfather, but his grandfather. Well, you'd be amazed. Like, uh, um, if you look at a, an American phone book, there are a lot more German names than there are British ones. Oh in yeah, that, in that phone book, yep. Eisenhower. That's yep. that's not that's, an English no, name. No, that's not from ye old England. <laughs> My family in uh, the surname Larson. Mm. Very common in the Midwest, in the US. Swedish. Um, yes, yeah. uh, Norwegian for my family. But around where my dad's from, there's so many different Scandinavian surnames and German surnames because um, that's just yeah. the mass migration just happened sort of in the 18th, late 1800s, um, early 19th century, early 20th century, um, and all went to those certain areas. And of course, a generation or two later, they're all going back to Europe, but uh, wearing the, the uh, olive drab instead. Yeah. Um, so the, yeah, the the other thing I've got to chuck into that army, uh, I I got the um, last levy guys there, so the um, uh, Volksturm and Hitler Youth kids. So the, ultimately, I want to be able to field an army where every unit 
starts off pretty shit, but it has those funky weird. <laughs> oh, there's rules that sneaky about, cheese coming out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like uh, military police, they're just hurting the straff battalion because <laughs> you, you can you can have regular straff, but um, they're shirkers, but they're not shirkers when there's an MP with a gun. <laughs> when something in front of you scary, put something scarier behind it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think that'd be a fun fun army to play. I don't know how well it would it would do, but um, let's see what else have I done? Uh, went to a saga tournament last weekend, uh, so I've been doing a bit of work on um, patching up some of my armies in light of the thrashing that I took from a, a couple of Norman uh, cavalry. Oh dear! So that that was at the League of Ancients, wasn't it? It was, yeah. So how did how that go? Oh, it was it was fun. So I, I, I played three games. Um, in my defense, it was the first. So Saga is just into its second edition, uh, which has changed a lot of stuff in, in the mechanics. Um, and I haven't played uh, for a year. So this was the first time playing that. And I had never played against a cavalry army before so i wasn't really sure how how that worked and uh normally you're the one with the i, I with was the i was gonna, I was gonna <laughs> yeah. say hang on a minute hang on is this karma rearing its head horsey awesome. boys against yeah. jl as opposed to Roddy. you should have just shot it with a panzer faust yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well in my i did go out and buy some horses after i saw what happened <laughs> and some archers <laughs> horsey um, boys right again yeah so uh, it's it's very hard when all your army's on foot and you've got no ranged stuff because um, they can ride up, hit you, and then ride away again um, and just keep riding in circles around you. And uh, the the army that bad. I fought <laughs> that was on foot, because I could catch them um, and I'd figured out something of how the, the mechanics of that army worked by then, um, just chopped it right up, you know, just put all that... Stuff on abilities that give you an extra five attack dice, re-rolls, uh, extra armor, extra armor penetration. So you're running uh, Vikings? Yeah. Uh, nice. But that, that, that army, which is all, it's all just really built out of one box of uh, the Gripping Beast um, Hearthguard mm. dudes. Pretty much built two armies out of that. Um, there's just a couple of extra black tree le- spearmen levies in there. So um, feasibly that can be one army of Vikings and one army of Anglo-Danes or Anglo-Saxons. It, pretty much anything that's happening in England other than the Welsh and Scots. Yeah, you don't need many models for, for Saga, do you? No. Nah. Uh, I, was, I was working it out before. So at a six-point game, feasibly the most you could have is about 60 models. And that would be an entire army of plebs, uh, which no one would would take because it doesn't really make sense. Maybe Anglo-Saxons could do that because uh, their abilities rely on how many models are in each unit. So if you had six units of levies at 12 men per unit, that's the biggest army you could possibly take. Is it an, obje- uh, is it an objective kind of based game or is it no. just kill each other? It's, it's all based on the number of um, dudes that you kill. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, well, so if you've got a lot that, of dudes to get killed, that probably wouldn't be too great. Would no, it? <laughs> but they're, they're, they're weighted on their on their veterancy. So killing the warlord is worth five points. Killing his bodyguard, they're worth uh, three or two. Um, killing a regular warrior is worth one, and killing a peasant is worth one every three of them that you kill or something. So there's real no real glory in, in just killing the cowherds. You've got to go for the... 
uh, the high value. Got to make targets. a name for yourself, really. You yeah, know, yeah. I killed the warlord. You know, or I killed the chieftain. Yeah. Rather than just random random thrall number five who just wandered out of a hut and walked into your axe. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Dude, there's so many good games out there at the moment, yeah, though, isn't yeah. there? Like- but it, it is a really cool game because, like, like you say, the buy-in cost is very low. Um, it's quick to learn but hard to master. Um, doesn't take any terrain that you probably haven't got already. Um, plays on a small table. Well, you built a table, didn't you? Well, you that did, was you the next you didn't, thing. You didn't, yeah. uh, you didn't mention that. Well, I was so, coming to that. So, so there it is over in the corner and in all its glory. Yeah, so you were saying um, in your in your sweet blog post mm. um, that you you made it so it's like compatible, you know, like with Saga, with Bold Action, blah, 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 because... Yeah, I mean, it, it really works for, works for anything. Um, the only thing on there um, that sort of denotes its scale is is the bridge but even if you were playing 15 mils or 20 mils um it's just a really big bridge yeah, <laughs> yeah no, a I really think big, big roman bridge i yeah. think it works how do you play so like you've got a river running through it obviously with the with the bridge um mm-hmm. for for our listeners um how have you found that like have, like have you played any games on it yet? no i haven't had a chance to play any games on it yet um i've been trying to track down somebody to to help break it in but um I've been kind of busy, and and during the week it's it's hard to do that. But, busy building uh, tables. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, and the, the, the table other thing or the was, game. I, I, you know, I had it for a week or so, and I I realised, look, I'm not not actually going to set it up on my kitchen table just yet because it's not stable enough. So I had to get to uh, office works and buy a folding trestle table mm. um, to give it some stability, and I, I still need to find a way to lock all of the. Um, sections together, um, maybe some Velcro or something like that. I don't know. But um, uh, the good thing about that is you, you can you can just say, well, for the purposes of this game, we're going to make that difficult terrain or just say, look, it's shallow enough that you can just walk right through it. And it's it's just... Um, yeah, is it like it, I mean, the thing is, it looks awesome, um, yeah. and but like some some terrain um, that does look awesome, i.e. the Stalingrad table in, mm. in the Melbourne scene. It looks <laughs> awesome, but it's it yeah. might not be so good at playing with. So I mean, I guess to have that flexibility. Well, that, that's, that's why yeah. I, I I really thought about the the layout. So it's got roads, but every corner has a road coming from it. So there's not one side of the board that you'll end up on and go, oh shit, I've just really disadvantaged by mm. where I've deployed um, and everything else is modular so I've, I've got a big sheet of um, high density foam over there in the corner and uh, I'll buy a hot knife soon and start chopping that up to make make some, some hills I think that's one of the big challenges for making a table is making it functional yet making it cool at the same time and I, I'm a big fan of the modular look I mean yeah, you could do a nice sculpted table, but that's all it's going to be for battle after battle. It's going to be the exact same uh, layout. You're going to work out the nuances of it. Um, you're going to work out where the best lanes of fire are or the best place to put your shield wall or whatever game system you're playing. It's that real trick to make a balanced table that can be used in so many different systems or even just different scenarios that gives that sort of a different game each time. And that's, that's where I think modular really shines. But... I like the fact that, all right, the, the river's modded into it. 
the bridge is modded into it, but everything else is open, so it does have that room. You want to put a village on one side, you can put a forest on the other, you can put a hill on this one, and it doesn't. It's not gonna that bridge per se is not gonna change the flow of your battles. It's it, it just adds to it. No, the the only thing I can think of that the bridge affects because uh, I tested it out with um, a couple of different things. It's a bit too narrow to get a king tiger across it. No, well, given the, <laughs> I think it'd just given, drive given through the, the river, wouldn't it? Well, given the actual. Yeah, it's a not many bridges bridge. could I take don't that. think the King Tiger would have gone over it anyway. It would have gone through the bridge. <laughs> but it, anything else, I mean, it, a Panzer IV, it's wide enough to get a Panzer IV across. Um, yeah. And, just, and, just have it mounting the curb on, like the, like the, <laughs> the edge of your seat. No, I think it's cool. Um, and like, shit, I'd love to come and have a game with yeah, you we'll, we'll, Break, we'll break to, it in. We'll have to, have to organise that. Um, that pretty soon. Um, I'm going away this weekend. Otherwise, I would would like to. But uh, we've got a public holiday next next Friday, so uh, maybe yeah. we should should consider having a bit of a games day. That'd be that'd be good. Um, Actually, one one of the guys from League of Ancients wanted wanted me to uh, coach him through through a game or two. So, oh, he's interested in some bolt action. Or yeah, some, yeah, yeah, some bolt action. So yeah. we'll we'll good. see how that goes. Getting some new blood in the game, it's always good. Always good, yeah. yeah. Still meaning to get down to League of Ancients. Last, I would, I was gonna go last week, but then I found out the Saga tournament was on. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, it was on, only six players, so there wasn't a wasn't a big event. I thought, yeah, I thought it. You know, you, you see tournament, you're like, oh, it's gonna be big. Mm. <laughs> you know what? Ha- it keeps happening. In um, as I've been playing some Age of Sigma, every every Age of Sigma event it ha- is called a grand tournament, a GT. So like the last one was like it was at Good Games Melbourne was um the Blue Dragon GT. Was, you know, like twelve or fourteen players or whatever. Mm. It's like oh, you know, like, it was a great event. You know, whatever. But is that really a GT? <laughs> well, I, I saw that G G Dub have bought back. Prize support for events in Australia. Yeah, I've noticed now. that they've started with that again. They've actually been quite good um, with the community engagement as they were, I mean, like much better at least than they were in the past because, mm. Mm. Um, I mean, I was, I think I started playing just after they, you know, like this is a long time ago still, but just after Games Workshop stopped, stopped supporting their own GTs and that kind of thing. Um, again, a long time ago. But... Um, so now and there was that, that that long kind of p- period where they they were really bad with customer service with yeah. with yeah. gaming support like they wouldn't support any or, or they wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't tell you what wouldn't yeah. tell you what was coming out so you had these whole websites that were just rumor mills around yeah. what was what they were going to do next Bell lost what, souls and yeah. the like yeah that was the oh, whole was whole the, stick was all about rumors and what's coming out next sort of thing yeah. uh, three plus plus that yeah. was another good yep. one although that, that had a particularly snarky tone all of its yeah. own. <laughs> I think particularly if it, was, if it was 40k it was all just all yeah. just but you know I remember we, we used fire. to go to go to things like Arcanicon and that would have 150 players you know and the the person who had beaten out uh all of those players to to get everything and they get a box of basic infantry oh geez it cost, yeah. it cost so yeah, much to wow. fucking hire the Woo. venue didn't it <laughs> like jesus um they, they, oh, that was rough wasn't it um but no i think gw are doing better i mean this is obviously a bold action cast so like we won't go too much into it but i think but, but GW in, is, in the light of yeah. watch, watching those discussions on on the various uh facebook groups and on the good old Wargamer AU mm. website, which which I still check every day or two. Do you really? I, yeah, I, I, it's I just been on there for man. years. I, just, I checked it. I used to like. I, I just I, 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 I used to check it all the time. I used to get in these 
full on arguments what in the. What do you the, check it for? Just out of habit, boredom. I'm sitting because in front the, of a, a computer all only, day long. The only good thing on Wargamer is. Um, for anyone who hasn't been on, is the off-topic forum. Well, that's, I go in oh, there. I used to go and, and get these big arguments with oh, people on the assault just get flicked in everyone's that. eyes. I've got to love it. It's got nothing to do with wargaming. It's just like a bunch of nerds talking about like, yeah. oh, communism is really great, which it is um, for the listeners. But, um, or, you know, like... Well, one, we one won't of the name main names, guys. but there have been <laughs> just some, some classic some really, arguments on there's there. Some really, <laughs> and then there's some really... Yeah, it's good. <laughs> But that's the only thing. At I'd one point, I had, to, I had to make myself promise that I wouldn't waste time arguing with people in the off-topic <laughs> forum anymore. What else is the internet for, really? I mean, come on. Yeah. But um, uh, the, the buy, ha- sell, buy, sell, and swap used to be great, and that's just really it died, died off. Yeah, now. Facebook's but, taken over. Yeah, that I was about to big say time. that. There's so many buy, swap, and sell groups for individual war games, for individual mm. regions. I mean, there's a bolt action buy, swap, and sell on Facebook. It's it is global. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, but I, I used to like yeah. that one because it was vetted very heavily. Like yeah. you had to have been around for a while before you could and you, post in there. You rack up, rack up your points and everything. You yeah. guys will like this actually, um, particularly you, JL, who's been doing some commission painting. So my, one of my mates, uh, the old Kakwa, um, has been looking for a commission painter um, for for some of his uh, Age of Sigma stuff. Um, and he was he was posting around on the on Facebook and that kind of thing. Um, got a guy who was talking, and, and the guy sent him a photo, like a you know an example shot of, of what he was doing. And uh, Kakwa Adam, he uh, he recognised it as one of our mates' uh, stuff from Sydney, and he's like he's messaged him and been like, hey, is this your stuff? He's like, yeah, actually it is. Um, what the hell? <laughs> so, so he's got no, he's like confronted this guy, like on Facebook, of course, like, oh, what, what's going on? Like, you didn't paint this, blah, blah, blah. He's gotten a bunch of his mates to be like, oh, like email this guy, like, oh, hey, I hear you do good, uh, good commission painting. What the, what's going on? <laughs> it's, imagine that. Like, why would you, why would you do that? Well, yeah, there's some there, sort of scam I've, or something. Yeah, I've heard some horror stories of people sending entire armies off for painting and never to be heard of again. Mm. Um, basically people put up the, the fake pics and say yep commission painting yep and they take on half a dozen commissions send me your armies and then they scamper um, wow so there's an, yeah, it, I it, mean, hap- it, ha- it, it happens there's there's perennial complaints in yep. that and, and you know look there, there is a, a whole sort of um, best practice thing about how to choose somebody yeah. to do your painting for you get the Get some testimonials. Get some yeah. bonus. Yeah, surely you need at least some recommendations. Somebody that's that's sort of well known in the community. Yeah. The interesting thing I've noticed is it's more predominant in the Games Workshop line of miniatures. Um, I've not really heard any stories of bolt action commission painters. Bolt action is such a tight knit scene as well. Yeah, though. like everyone kind of knows. I think that's kind each of why because a bit better. While it's a big and the scene, the resale it's value not, is not. The well, that's either. exactly right, and I, I think, like like you said, it's a tight knit community, and it's it's a big community, but it's not a excessively large community like uh, like some of the Games Workshop um, mm. communities are. Yeah, so I mean, that's that's probably is definitely one thing that I miss from Wargamer, like that that kind of security in the buy swap mm. I used to really love watching the the um, painting diaries as they went along, oh, but that's that dropped yeah. right off too. Yep. That, that doesn't happen as much anymore but again it's fa- facebook's taken over for i mean like yeah you know, facebook does like does a lot of things better but there's some some niches that i think facebook, i think with facebook kind of forums, is it's yeah. it's it's a quick fix i jump on facebook 
I watch my feed and the highlights come through. Like, Harry Turner's work just pops up time and time again every day. Harry bloody Turner. You know what? Get this. He posts on every... I reckon he posts on every... Like, comments on every single post in the Australian um, Bold Action community group, whatever it is. Every, every day I'm getting multiple notifications of just him p- commenting and on things. And that's how yeah. I keep... <laughs> every couple of hours. Does, does he have like... a job? <laughs> no, I love you, Harry, but seriously. That's what I love about the bloke. He's the reason I keep up to date on things. I see the latest painting things come out. I see the latest discussion on on the latest rules or whatever. Because Harry's on everything. He's, he's yeah, but it the runs man is my a fucking phone flat. There's too many bloody notifications. No, the the other issue with Facebook is well, it's not as good as archiving things. So like, yes. it might might, might yeah. pop up on your on your your screen or whatever and be like, oh yeah, cool. But if you want to find that a week or a month later, you never find it's it. Very well. Yeah. It and, does. and and for the for the thing about um, as we were saying, it's not a diary that same way so you yeah. can't see somebody go from designing the army and doing their test models and then they do the first couple yeah. and say oh i should have changed this and done that yeah but that's why some of those really long painting threads in the um wargamer au thing are, are just worth looking at and watching because you can see it's like like the old tale of four wargamers and each month there's a new unit added to the table or whatever and the, you know, the four guys get together and go right this month we're going to have uh, HQ and two two infantry so we can play a game at, by the end of the month and they'll do that and then next month, okay, we're going to add a tank to our force or whatever and watching those diaries of those things develop was always enjoyable. Absolutely. All right, All right guys. Yeah, we might uh, take a break, go eat yep. some pizza yep. and uh, we'll, be, we'll be back with the Desert War. Go get a feed and uh, then we'll talk some more. Knights of Dice is a Melbourne-based company specialising in laser-cut MDF scenery, custom foam inserts for transport cases, custom gaming tokens, and much, much more. For bolt-action players, the Letters Home range offers amazing quality and be combined with their more basic shells from the Tabula Rasa range to build a spectacular table for a very reasonable outlay. Available from retailers around Australia or direct from their website at www.knightsofdice.com or make a time to visit their amazing studio in Melbourne and have a chat with Viv and the lads. We're back, and uh, now we're going to take some time and have a bit of a flick through the new Western Desert book. Uh, this will be something, I guess, of a first impressions thing, given we only picked it up about two hours ago. But uh, what do you think, Lockie? Yeah, look, I'm I'm pretty pretty happy with the book um, in in general. I mean, as I yeah, as we said before. I only just picked it up a few hours ago, but I mean, like I've been, I've been following it. You know, a lot of the the special rules in terms of um the the new rules for for certain armies and that kind of thing. And I think the th- the real thing that stands out to me, um, because there's been a lot of campaign books that the warlords kind of brought out in the last couple of years, which I think is great because you can kind of customize your force a little bit better, um, that kind of thing. But with with the Western Desert, it's it's broad. It's such a big book for a start. That it, and it's allowed 
they're like there's a lot of different rules for different armies. So basically, everyone that was every army that was present in in the desert campaign, um, which is ev- pretty much everyone. Oops, sorry. Which was pretty much everyone except for um, the Soviet Union and and Japan. Everyone else is is kind of present in this book, which I, I think that's really exciting. What do you guys think? Yeah, look, um, like you mentioned before, there's got some special rules now for some of the Commonwealth nations, a bit more in depth, uh, which I really like the idea of. It's, um, I haven't read them all fully yet, but I'd imagine some of those would translate to being used in other theatres as well. Um, so obviously in Italy, like uh, like your Kiwis in, in Italy, uh, married uh, battalions and the like, um, even translating to some of the some of the other Aussie actions, sort of Crete um, and other areas around the Middle East. So good to see a bit of variety in there too. Like so you can really, like I said, tailor your army to your specifically what you really want to, to put on the tabletop. Yeah, and I think that's a big thing with particularly with the British forces because like the Commonwealth forces were so so diverse. Like they 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 conscripted troops, not conscripted, um, but you know they got troops from all over the world, all over their their empire. And like to have that di- little bit of flavour on each of yeah, those kind of forces. Yeah, is the really the nice. original British um, national rules, where you got to kind of pick a rule, did allow for a bit of customization. But I think now we're actually going specifically going. All right, this nation's got this this rule. Or this one's got that one. Or this Commonwealth force has got that one. It really tailors the army a little bit more than just oh, this one. I'm gonna I'm gonna make my guys tough fighters because you know I think that's kind of you know would suit my army in this battle. Um, and then, but then next next uh, battle I put them on, oh, I'm taking the the doctrine that gets me extra rifle shots. I mean, this kind of quite quantifies, I suppose, for want of better terms, the the actual Commonwealth nations. Absolutely, and I th- I just like to make it clear as well. Like obviously, all the the rules in this book um, are if you're building an army in in the in the desert campaign. So it's like I mean, like I guess you could if you wanted to use these rules elsewhere. Um, but like they're designed for the desert, um, which I think is really cool. Yeah, I mean, and we, what we'll see, I guess, as as people become more familiar with it, and we start to see how how it plays out on the table, is uh, you know, I'm I'm fairly confident that they're balanced within the book, um, that they're all balanced against each other. But how well they balance to their detriment or to their benefit against. Uh, generic generic lists or against other selectors, uh, we just don't know yet. Well, and that's one thing we've seen with a lot of the campaign books too is the campaign books are very focused around certain, well, obviously as the name suggests, campaigns and the, the armies do match quite well in those but the moment you start putting them into match play or throwing them against other theatre selectors, they don't really add up too well. Either they lack luster or they're too, too strong. Um, so like you said, I think... Um, without having fully read the book or really gone in depth into it yeah it'll, i think it's like it'll be quite balanced within the book but um yeah i think all the all the different special rules for for the forces that we've got um have been like they're not overpowered or anything i think they're all they're all pretty reasonable um there's some different rules which we'll touch on um and they're all at the end which is like pretty much based on on the desert war which are like uh, so special rules on if you can go hull down and that kind of thing if you're in a in a tank or that kind of thing, or um, so like the special forces like the LRDG and the Auto Sahariana they can um, I don't know let their their tires down or whatever like in terms of the pressure so they can go over the soft sand I think like all that's really cool, but again that probably doesn't 
translate very well into um, into the kind of match play that we often no, play. It's, it's like the, the Ostfront rules for snow and ice and frostbite mm. and stuff. You know, it's great if you're you've set up a game where you know you're playing both sides of that, that army and you've agreed in advance that you'll be be running those rules. Yeah. Great optional extras, but in the kind of open play that we we tend to do a lot of here in Victoria, uh, I don't think we'll be seeing too much of that. Yeah, those rules are more your, your garage gaming or your home gaming narrative campaign type rules, which I love. I mean, I'm a narrative gamer from way back, so I love seeing that sort of stuff. But yeah, for the open play, I, I agree. I don't think... Um, I don't think unless someone really tail, tailors an event to a specific campaign, I can't see that uh, coming into the, the general sort of meta, so to speak, of, um, of Victoria. Yeah, well, I think having the option is like the best thing. So like this mm. book um, has, you know, like all the, sorry, the, the, the special rules for different forces, which I think they translate well. Then it's got like the specific rules for for um, for desert war, um, kind of you know if you want to play in the desert, like the soft sand and stuff. Like that's never going to come. Like I, that will certainly never come into um, match play because unless you just said if you've got a desert table, one of your six tables is a desert table. You just put a note on it saying. If you play on this table, yeah. But imagine that as well. Like if you had, um, a, you know, a, a few wheeled vehicles and stuff, you you couldn't play on that table. And that's so. I mean, again, in match play, I guess you kind of have to to take that into. But on that same token, though, if you tailored each board, so one was desert, one was ice and snow, one was mud. Personally, I think that kind of balances out if. My army's no good in the in the desert, but it might be good on the ice or snow, or it might be good in the mud, or it might be in the city. Um, but, but do you want to make it? I mean, I don't think we wanted to make it in, like in an event that like the the result's gonna be yeah, because of I, you know like I think dictated. something like that yeah. for an event to do that sort of thing, it has to be more of a fun event rather than a podium event. Oh, absolutely. Um, all right, um, we're gonna do around the world. Um, and each table is going to be a different theatre and it's going to have one special rule from that particular theatre. I mean, something like that, uh, I could see it happening, but you, you couldn't just go, only the desert table is going to have a special rule. It has to be balanced I mean, out. If you think about that, that rule that you've got for your Papuans, for example, that forward deployment thing, well... That makes no sense if they're forward deploying halfway up the board in the desert, does yeah. it? What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's totally. It's just like a giant beach, isn't it? <laughs> it's totally historic that the Papuans fought in uh, in Sicily. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. Look, I mean, I mean, you could implement those rules, and like, so we're playing in a couple of weeks um, at Brad's bold action event, uh, the, so the Desert War event. Yeah, so you out, might you out. might want to take those rules, and you probably do in that kind of event, which is great. Um, uh, because it would be, you'd be, you can take uh, sorry your soft soft wheels or whatever to move through the soft sand. That'd be great. But I think in a match play, play, it doesn't really have a place. But that's okay. And I think there's different options in this book. And then the other the other great thing is there is 19 scenarios in this book, and that covers a, a variety of different um, different uh, actions, I guess, in the Western Desert. Um, and that's, I mean, again, that's not really useful for match play. But if you want to play in your in your basement or but having garage, said that, I mean, the quick flick through I had there. I mean, each scenario comes with a, a suggested setup and scenario rules. There's nothing saying you couldn't convert those into a usable match play type 
scenario. I mean, it, they're great building blocks and great idea starters, realistically. I mean, you may not want to put the exact forces, the exact train, but it may give you that idea of, okay, um, here's going to be a, a certain um, mission and we're going to roll for minefields and see where minefields are um, for round two of the, the event. You know, that sort of gets the juices flowing when it comes to coming up with some new new scenarios and new ways to sort of challenge players on the on the tabletop, I suppose. Absolutely. I think it would be a great way to challenge players and make, make them get out of their comfort zone a little bit. That's it. I'm going to do an event and everything's minefields. Well, I think there was some talk about you running an event at some point, hey? Yes, yes. Maybe uh, early December. I might discuss that a little later on uh, after we've talked about the book and uh, the upcoming the, the event that is set in stone as opposed to mine that uh, I'm going to chip away at. No, there's no pressure on you, mate. Um, <laughs> no, look, we might we might just uh, dive into a few of these rules. So, uh, again, please, I want to just really stress that this is first impressions. Um, we're, I'm going to be reading, kind of basically reading out some rules. We're, as we're first about... and as raw as you can get, it's mm, going to be. Absolutely. And uh, we're not going to... So I, I did post on Facebook that we we're going to record tonight. Um, and so there was a few snide comments going, oh, there's... Particularly from Mr. Hara Turner, our old friend, uh, about there's a lot of issues with this book, um, particularly about the editing and, um, you know, like there's a few spelling mistakes, you know, a lot of spelling mistakes, but we're, we're not going to really dive into that because it's not really good content. We'll leave that to Facebook. Hey, hey JL. It's a visual medium. <laughs> no, good. Look, let's dive into... Look, I want to talk about the Commonwealth... I want to talk about the Commonwealth armies first, um, because as we as we kind of alluded to before, um, they're such a diverse kind of force. But you got your Indians, you got Australians, South Africans, New Zealanders, and then you know, Rhodesians. I think there's even there's, there's so many. Like obviously, the British Empire covered a lot of the of the oh, world yeah. in World War Two. So it doesn't do it justice, I think, to have only a handful of special rules that you can choose from. Yeah, I agree. Um, but, you know, this, like the Western Desert book actually addresses that a little bit. So they've got rules for um, Australians, South Africans, New Zealanders and Indians, um, which I think is really cool. So the, the Australia and they, these replace the existing rules of the British, I think. Um, so with, with just these theatre selectors? As in, as in these rules only replace for these theatre selectors or? Yeah, so I think um, you, you you replace them from like, you know, like the toughest boots kind of mm. um, theatre selectors and that kind of thing. Um, so, I mean, like the Australian national characteristics, they're, they're from um, the New Guinea book. Um, I mean, which is cool because it, it does reflect the Australian forces really well. Um, so that is aggressive patrolling. So you order, the Australian player will automatically win the, the roll-off to go first um, in terms of forward deploying. And then you can't, um, like the enemy can't deploy within 18 inches of, of a forward deploying Australian unit. Um, and there are the rulers never give up. So when you defend in an assault scenario, Australian infantry and artillery units count as having the fanatic special rule. So both those special rules come from the New Guinea book. Um and I, th I think that's really characteristic. And so they've kind of, you can see that warlords brought them across to the desert campaign to to reflect the Australian psyche. 
Um, Makes a lot of sense too. I mean, the troops pretty much went straight from the desert into the jungle, still wearing their uh, desert yellows. So they're still going to carry that mentality straight from from one one war zone to the next. Uh, yeah, they're, and they're, they're, uh, exactly. They're the, same, they're the same dudes as well. And, you know, like the never give up rules really reflective of, you know, like the rats of Tobruk kind of um, mentality of like dig in, do not give any ground, that kind of thing. What's the Kiwi one, bro? <laughs> bro? Choice A, bro. So the New Zealand special, um, there's actually uh, four. So after after rolling for the number of pins caused by HE fire, if the target is New Zealand infantry or artillery, half the number of pins rounding down. Which is, uh, we might make some pretty resistant from, um, from HE, I think. Do you reckon that stacks on going down? Um, well, it says, oh, yes. Right, so you go down and halve it. But I think and like this you, applies and you have it again. I suspect the because you always round up, don't you? So you'd always at least take one pin. So if yeah, if yeah, you, you'd have to take a minimum of one, I would imagine. Yeah, you'd you'd take a minimum of one, but you could get hit by an enormous HE thing that would, and they roll really well, and they do six pins on you potentially. I don't, I can't remember if there is anything big enough that 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 does that yeah, still. Yeah, believe uh, so. Okay. Um, so you go down and that brings it to three and then you apply this national rule and then they're on one. So that's, that's pretty handy. It's not bad. Yeah. I mean, how, like how do they, what if they called that? That's steadfast under fire. So, well, um, actually that'd bring it up to two. Cause if you're rounding up, so you're 1.5, you'd round up to two. Okay, you're still taking right. two pins, but still that's a hell of a lot better. But than what's actually six. taking six? So I think, so I think Some of the, three or four pins is pretty common. So you know, yeah. in both of those cases, you're only taking one pin, which is yeah, if, that's if you're down as well. But like that's, I think that's super super helpful. Um, or half the number of pins rounding down as well. So if you yeah. only take oh, one, rounding if, down, if, there if we you go. go. If you only take one pin from a, a light howitzer or something, just don't worry about it. Take it off. Um, which is pretty cool. Um, so they've also got the superb junior officers rule. So they've um, their officers have the morale bonus of twelve inches, and but, um, but snap to action remains at twelve at six. Okay, that's still pretty good. I mean, I mean it's useful. Like it's not um, groundbreaking anything, but mm. like you can you can keep. It's a lot easier to keep multiple units in that, in that it's, bubble. It's, it's yeah, particularly if you are running some inexperienced units in there, you can not bunch them up and make them a big artillery target and still yeah. get a really big command bubble. Yeah, and of course, obviously, you have to take that, um, at least that second lieutenant anyway. So, I mean, get, getting extra utility out of that is always nice. Um, and then the, f well, there's two special rules, but they kind of roll into one, um, but that special rules for the Maoris. So they, they get the, for plus one a man, they get the formidable fighters special rule, which means they, they don't benefit from the other national characteristics, but they have the blood curdling charge up and at and tough as boots national characteristics. So that's three special yeah, rules. That's pretty decent. Yeah. But having seen Maoris brawl, I can say that's very apt. <laughs> I, I agree. I think it's great. Like they're going to be, they're going to take some stuff off. Yeah. I mean, cause they, they know that it's, it's, it's not about uh, too many weights and not enough speed work. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. So would you, where, so where did the, my, my New Zealand history is, um, uh, well, look, okay. good, but where did the, they actually, part of the reason I was interesting, interested to hear how the two contrasted. So I've been reading the, um, Osprey campaign book about Crete and they had this funny little aside 
in the beginning that was trying to explain the psychological differences between the Australian and New Zealand troops. And it was kind of like amateur hour pop psychology thing. Um, but they were saying, oh, look, it, a lot of it's down to the convict era history and a dislike of authority and so on, which, which New Zealand didn't share because it was, it was a, always a free settlement um, and they didn't, didn't send any convicts there. So the um, Pākehā uh, white people in, in New Zealand didn't have all the mental baggage of sticking it to the man because he was the colonial sort of slave driver <laughs> of the, the convict era. Um, so their relationship with their officers was a bit different. Um, I, I, I don't know if I would... I think that's probably overstating it a little bit. But Sorry, what, what were you going to ask? Oh, no, no, I was, I'm just looking, I'm kind of reading at these rules as I, as I go as well. So um, mm. um, I want to touch on the Indian national rules before I get to the South African rules. They look pretty spicy. But the Indian rules, so... Um, I see what you did there. Bloody hell. <laughs> come on, come on, guys. <laughs> no, so the, the Indians have, the, have two special rules. So the first one's the manpower of the empire, which is, I'm pretty sure that's, um, that's, an, that's an existing rule um, from one of the, it might be a PDF selector or something, but that's they get a free extra infantry, infantry squad with, armed with rifles. Um, Are they inexperienced infantry squad? Uh, free 10 men, oh, regular infantry. From Earth, from the early that's, that's not bad. Pretty good. So, um, as I think, um, uh, Mister Rob Deacon's run that theatre select before. I'm pretty sure it's a PDF um, or something like that. But I'm pretty sure he's run um, that same special rule before. Um, but they've also got the unsurpassed bravery, um, which is whenever a unit of infantry or artillery fails a morale check and rather would otherwise be destroyed, they test again and apply the second result. Um, so that's, I think that's the same as like the Russian, uh, the Soviet rule. Yeah. The one that everyone always forgets to use. Always, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, I think it's handy, it's situational, but, um, between that and the, the manpower of the empire, there'll be, uh, there'll be lots more Indians sticking around, I think. Mm. Mm. Um, but it just adds a bit more flavor. But what I want to get to is the South Africans because I think they are pretty good. So whenever a South African infantry or artillery unit receives hits from non-HE fire, so rifles or whatever like that, you, get, you place your pin marker. But if you, they don't take a casualty, they just remove the pin. Wow. They just say, nah, I don't, I'm not pinned today. Shit. That's, uh, that's pretty, uh, pretty good. It's not bad, particularly if you're running a, a more veteran force as well. Like it's probably limited use against, it, like if you've got inexperienced or regular. But I'm just trying so hard not to make South African jokes. Oh, go on, come no, on. No, I'll no, give no, you. No, I'll no, give no. you three. No, seriously, I, it would not be. It would be so offensive. <laughs> no, actually, maybe, maybe, maybe best not to. No, look, I think that rule is really good, particularly for small teams. Um, yeah. Like if you're running veteran small teams or something like that. Yeah, no, that that's a really cool rule, um, you know, because it removes that mechanic. That it's it's quite common that you can, you know, put pins on a on a unit, but you just can't can't hurt them. And if that's ignoring that ability that you have, yeah, you can't kill it, but you can slow it down. With this the is pins. yes, speeding them up. They they're just not going to be slowed like a lot of other foot sloggers are going to be. I mean, if you're ignoring those pins because there's no casualties, then there's no slowing them. Yeah, they don't have to test for that um, that order check the next turn to adv advance or mm. fire or whatever like that. 
like you know that's super useful for um something like a sniper as well um you know like when snipers have a snipe war and they they might um hit but not wound and it's like it's going to make it absolutely pointless to be putting down long range mg fire on them where yeah. you, know, you you know you're not going to wound them because you're going to need um yeah, long, very long odds, but you're just hoping to put some pins on. No, you just forget it. Why? Why would you do it? Does that that only apply to South African infantry? Uh, infantry and artillery. Okay, infantry and artillery. So, so not tanks. That would be pretty busted. Oh, I was going to say because if that applied to tanks, I went whoa. That's uh, just never yeah. be able to stop them. No, but hey, wait. There's more. <laughs> South Africans also have a rule called quick reaction. So when they uh, when their infantry or artillery a char sorry a charge they can always react to being assaulted so like you can so if you've already ordered oh sorry sorry the surprise charge rule on page 76 doesn't apply which means i suspect if you're within um six inches you can still react i think that's that's also pretty good um so but I think between those rules, I think the South Africans are, are not bad. So it basically seems like each Commonwealth nationality has two special rules then. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the New Zealand's got four, really three. Um, the Australians have got two. Indians have got two. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I think it's, I think it's cool. It just adds, adds that little bit extra flavour. Yeah. Um, and hopefully we get get some get to see more uh, desert forces with um, with you know the minor nations mm. as part of the Commonwealth. Um, but the next thing we have, guys, is the Italians. So we don't see that many Italian players because historically or traditionally even uh, the Italian special rules have been pretty average. So I think when they're losing, like normally when they're losing by, I don't know, I think maybe three ordered ice or more, they, they take minus two to their, to their morale, which is crippling, particularly like when you're at that stage of the games. It really means that when you're, when you're down, like when you're losing, you're, there's no way of coming back because you're just, it's it kind of... It means that to, to play them as well, that strategically, if you just go balls out in the first two turns and try and just give them a solid kicking that they, they just can't come back from it. Whereas it, a lot of other countries, you know, you can wear it and just play for advantage over the next couple yeah. of turns. You know, yeah, absolutely. So I think, I, I mean, I've seen on, on Facebook and that kind of thing, um, a lot of people talking about these rules. Um, and so I think it's good that they've changed it up a little bit just to reflect the different kind of Italian forces in, in the desert campaign. But basically they have five... They've It's kind of funny, right? They've got five, six special rules and I think four of them are about morale. So I think... I think it's quite characterful. Do all six rules apply all the time, or is it like the British? We only select one or two. No, they get all of them, um, as far as I'm aware. Like they're all, and again, they're all very minor kind of rules. So I think they could have streamlined it a lot better. Mm. But then again, I mean, in in North Africa, the Italian forces ranged from uh, surrendering without firing a shot to fighting to the last man. So you've got that huge scope of uh, a quality and fighting spirit of the Italian soldier between the conscript who did not want to be there to the elite units that um, would would not surrender, would, would go down to the last man and last bullet. Um, 
So that's why I was wondering if there was a if all rules applied all the time or if it was a selector. No, look, as far as I can tell, all all rules um, kind of apply. So we'll just go through them first. So um, so the Avanti special rule is when Italian infantry units they can re-roll failed order tests for advance and run rolls if the Italian player is currently winning the game for order dice. So that's kind of touches on on the original special rule, but it's mm. it's more of a positive rather than a, uh, than a negative. Well, and the th- the thing with that too is is you know if you fail that re-roll, you're no worse off than you were when you started. No, so exactly. It, it can only work in your favour. It's not something that just sort of slaps you in yeah, the it face. It doesn't penalise you as much. Yeah, exactly. And it, I mean, it gives you a little bit of a, a boost if you're winning, I guess. But um, that kind of, it kind of is a double-edged sword here where, with their poor officers. So Italian officers may only add their command value to ambush, fire and rally orders. So that, that completely contradicts the Avanti special rule. Um, because so Avanti is uh, advance and run, whereas poor officers can they can only add the command for ambush, fire, and rally. Well, it 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 doesn't it balances it out a little bit, yeah, um, yeah. In that um, you can't get a officer bonus for making that um, that movement. Mm. However, you get to re-roll it if you fail. Yeah. So it means that for the purposes of that, it's it's irrelevant what your officer is doing. Yeah, he's he's off doing whatever in his dugout, and the guys sipping are some there. vino. Yeah. Well, it probably gives um, Italian players a little bit more of a I don't know a license to take the inexperienced lieutenants as well, which is I mean a lot of so like some people have a, have an issue with that. I mean I do personally, but um, take an old veteran army with a with, with an inexperienced lieutenant. Hmm. Uh, but look, I'll, I'll just run through the other... There's, so there's six rules. There's three more that have to do with morale. And I've been through two already, which is pretty crazy. But Italian... So the Prudente, Italian infantry units take an additional neg one penalty to all order tests, not morale tests. So again, like if you're trying to get your guys up and moving, you're basically counted as an experience. Mm. Like, and then... So... The next one is for oh, I can't pronounce it. Forza Danami, Oh, all Italian uh, <laughs> artillery, self-propelled artillery and infantry units move D two pins whenever they pass an order test. Even if they're in a Renault. <laughs> Shut <laughs> up! You guys are. I'm a bone Australian. Leave me alone. Gold. Oh my god. So, so they so they count as. Oh, it's, a it's, Hang on a minute. So they count as... Do you, do you want me to dig out Google Translate so you can actually hear, hear it how it's supposed to be? Oh, I'm done. <laughs> and then Testado. Everyone is basically... Forza di amo. All of your infantry units... Testado? All of your infantry units are stubborn. So between those five different rules, that is five rules that out of six that all affect leadership in different ways. That is a lot of bookkeeping. What do you guys think? Well, um, not being intimately familiar with the, the original list, I mean, do you think that there is any reason looking at these that you would run the list in in um, uh, the original Italian list? Yeah, is, is there any benefit that you would get? Well, I guess if you're not running a, 
Like, I think you'd run these rules because I think they're a little bit more forgiving, if not more complex. They're certainly more complex, but I think they're more mm. forgiving. And it, would there be any units in that in that section? Yeah, that's that what I was going to ask. Is there any new units or new f- formations or anything uh, that sort of help balance that out a bit? Um, well, well, there's some more new. There is some new units. Um, some like armored armored units, that kind of thing. There's also so the Auto Sahariana um, theater selector, basically, which helps helps you run that kind of um, hit and run kind of list, which is like it kind of mirrors the LRDG. Um, but basically I think you're, you're probably going to, if you're running desert war, you're running these rules because they are more, more forgiving. They're more complex. So you're going to have to remember these five special rules a little bit more. Um, because it's just, I mean, that, that's going to be really hard to sit. You know, you, you pull up across the table from someone who's never played an, against an Italian army mm. before. And they ask you, what does your army do? What do I need to remember? And you're like spending half an hour running through <laughs> yeah. all this shit. Well, I do this and I do this and I don't well, do I think this. Well, you basically and I do that. say my, my leadership's fucked, right? Like, <laughs> like sometimes I pass order checks, sometimes I don't, and like who knows why? Like, is that is that really is that where we're coming from? Uh, I think it's I think it's interesting. I hope some I hope we get some more Italian players because the well, Italian arm is I, I find super cool. Like all their Little not overly cars, represented in. I, I don't really recall seeing many armies, if any, recently. Not for um, ages, no. Which I do actually have the startings of three Italian armies. Me being the crazy collector I am, I've got Bersaglieri for North Africa, um, the um, Folgor for I'm thinking most likely going to be uh, Sicily and Italy, and then I've got regular army for um, Eastern Front. But once again, it all comes down to me not having so much hobby ADHD and actually doing some painting and organising to, to get those uh, armies tabletop ready. So How shit is painting? No, I actually, oh, I, I enjoy I, painting. I love painting. I just can't focus long enough no. on a certain force but at a time pa- sometimes. Painting a whole army is an effort, isn't it? Like, like it, if you're kind of adding things to an existing army, it's always Look nice, at all those Russians down there. I know, <laughs> I know. You've, I really I did, need I, And I just later. painted up another like 30 the other day. See, that was the one positive I found where I found out I had to work instead of attending uh, Hoff was that I was really struggling to paint 80 Russians before the event. And my thing this year was every event I go to, brand new army because I want to get my bolt action stuff painted. And I've done it so far. Although, uh, Suns Out, Guns Out, I will be running my DAC again, but I am going to add some extra paint to Blast it. Blasphemy. From... Yeah, I know. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, I just I struggled to, to get the motivation to finish building, let alone painting 80 Russian bros just to, to put on the table. I mean... Oh, so many models. Um, I mean, like, there's some, some easier ways to, to get through them, but, I mean, if you're like me, who doesn't like just spray and dip kind of thing like even if it doesn't turn out as good as you'd want <laughs> like yeah it just uh, takes you, a long time you just got to get an assembly line going yeah you, know, you just yep. just go okay I've, i'm working on 10 bros all at once and i'm gonna paint boots and i'm gonna paint all of their boots and then by the time you've done that the first guy's boots are dry and then you do his socks and you see do 10 sets I, of socks. I do that but it ends up on a sliding scale i have 10 guys i go right boots done then I go, all right, pants, and I'll do, gets about number nine. I go, now nah, I'm bored. Oh, these are starting to look good. I really want to see them finished. Next one, I'll go, shirts, eight shirts done, and then it'll be 
seven rifles done and then and i end up with one finished figure and 10 in various or nine in various stages in between yeah, you got to push through that assembly line know, just get I it know. done yeah you've just got to do it you just go okay now i'm gonna get up and stretch only when i finish these and i'm gonna <laughs> suffer this pain in my neck until they're all finished i just need someone crack stand over me cracking that whip across my back every time i, I sort of my painting lulls you just got to have some good podcasts to listen to don't you while you're uh painting we need. I, I, want, I do, would like to say we, we need. I some really more. wish there was a good bolt action podcast. Yeah, if only. No, I'd li- I actually want to encourage more people to actually do bolt action casts because I think I think Brad is taking up. You know, like he's holding up everyone up with that. Like he he makes so much content, and then there's us who might record it once every couple of months. But then there's not that many other bolt action podcasts. No. Yeah, ours goes for like three, three fucking hours. <laughs> it's, speaking, it's... speaking of which, I should really get to the last Italian special rule, <laughs> um, which doesn't have anything to do with leadership, guys. Get this. No, uh, uh, Avanzare. Avanzare even, maybe. Um, so Italian anti-tank guns may forward deploy as per snipers and forward observers in any mission that... Uh, in any mission, mm-hmm. and does not count towards totals for determining first waves. Mm, okay. Interesting. I, I don't know. I don't know about forward deploy. Do you really want it that close? Yeah. I think. But not counting towards first wave is pretty cool. I think uh, your forward deploy might come in handy if you can get a nice ambush or a bleak sort of firing spot where you've got a lot of cover, but you've got a nice firing line to to yeah. blast away at. But. I just had this yeah. vision of just putting it out in the middle of the yeah. table in the <laughs> desert by itself. It's like, Take it know, off. The curtain falls off and there's just an hey, AT Luigi. gun in your face. <laughs> hey, Luigi, you just, uh, you just wait a there. <laughs> <laughs> we tell you when they come. <laughs> no, I think I think if anyone um, actually does that, then they're, uh, they probably deserve to have their artillery taken off pretty quickly. <laughs> no, I, th- I think this rule is actually really good and it's not to deploy 24 inches up the board first, like, you know, in deployment. Yeah. I think it's I think like it's to get that strategic that strategic spot. Absolutely. Sometimes like if if you only have a 6 inch or 12 inch deployment zone, you might just out like just outside of that have a good spot that you want to get to. So it can take an extra turn of moving to actually get there. What if you can actually just fire from turn 1? Mm. Although I do have a mental image of the old, the old age-old cartoon of we we've got a dangerous mission. We need a volunteer to step forward, and, and the one one lone guy is not paying any attention. Is like what? And everyone else is taking a step back. It's like that with the gun line. It's like we need to hold the tanks here, and all the infantry just take one step back, and let the gun guys are going. Wait, where did everyone go? What? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, if you can support it, like it, I think you can. Like certainly can be good. Um, the other thing is, like in some missions, the forward deployers go like go down last. Like if. If the mm. if you're if both players put something like deploy something on the board first and then the um, advanced players go down after it all, like there's some tactical flexibility there that you can be like, oh well, cool. Now I can I can shoot you. Whatever's you know down there. I think that's useful. Um, guys, fill some blank space for a sec. The Germans. <laughs> No, Actually, so just is... while you're flicking through, is there anything... Now, I know Americans didn't really feature in the Western campaign that much, but you said that pretty much everyone except the Soviets and the Japanese have something in there. Is there anything uh, hints at towards the Americans whatsoever? Look, mate, I think there is somewhere in this massive book. <laughs> there might be something, but 
I, I can't say for sure. What about if we talk about timeline, the actual timelines that the book covers per se? No, the, the, the clue is in the name. It's the, the Western yeah. Desert. It's not Tunisia. Yeah, and that's what I'm getting at. So, so it doesn't, it's, we're covering the Western, the pre-torch. Uh, yeah, that's why, why there's no, no tigers in any of those lists yeah. either. Um, so for anyone who hasn't, hasn't got the book yet or is looking to get into the Desert War and they want to play with tigers or Kasserine Pass, this probably isn't the book for them, would, would be fair to say. Can I just get a clarification on that timeline? Jay, you're probably the best person for this. Is what is the timeline of um, the tigers coming in and, and right the Americans at, coming right in? at the right at the end? Is yep. it because, just before? Yeah. yeah, right at the very end. So forty-three. They got pushed out of um, out of the Western Desert, so it passed past um, Syrinesia and Tunisia, all the way right into into Tunisia, which is quite far uh, east along there and then the Americans landed on the other side so that Africa Corps was kind of stuck between the pinch, pincers. Um, they were trying to evacuate stuff across the straits into, into Sicily um, but eventually they had to surrender but before they did they got the first batch, one of the first batches of uh, early model tigers mm. because you know, if you were really going to send the most expensive piece of hardware, you would send it to an army that's just about to surrender. To surrender. And it's completely fucked. <laughs> the, the cause is already lost in that area, so <laughs> let's just throw money at it. <laughs> yeah, Hitler logic. It, it always works. <laughs> I think it's just government logic, really. Hey, there's a problem. Let's just throw money at it and hope it goes away. Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting because I thought that, you know, like the Germans are going to dominate in, in, you know, like the Western Desert for most of that campaign until the Americans kind of came in. No, 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 no. Now, the issues I had with their supply lines in particular, um, and of course getting supplies across the Mediterranean, like you had places like Malta, which was such a strategic uh, little dot in the middle of the Mediterranean, and that's why it became one of the most bombed uh, locations in the world for, for the war was because it was such a strategic location. It basically halved the Mediterranean, and from there you could dictate what supplies were sent across from Europe to, um, to North the, Africa. The fact that they were reading all the um, Enigma intercepts. Yeah, kind of helps. You could just, just like get the timetable going, okay, there's one coming across at 3.15, we'll just uh, torpedo that um, ship full of petrol as it came across. Yeah, so dis- distance of supply lines. Like my grandfather served with the Maltese uh, Defence Force during the war and I remember him telling me as a kid about uh, taking barges of supplies from Malta to North Africa, dropping off there. Um, so the British, in some places, had a much shorter supply route uh, to get their uh, the vehicles and fuel and food and ammunition across than the Germans did, and a lot less perilous because their forward bases like Malta were, oh, okay, they were getting bombed a lot, but for their convoys to go from there to North Africa, there was nothing hostile per se between them and North Africa, whereas uh, the, the the German Navy would have to go across the Mediterranean where you've got to kind of pass allied positions to, to get through or, or fly their planes over. You're going to get interceptors from... Or, from if, or if you land it further east, okay, you've got to clear, truck it clear a run from, from yeah. Sicily across, but then you've got to truck it all the All the way, the way across, yeah. And the other thing, you know, we, we touched on this before, but um, after... Um, June of, of 41, you know, all the priority for Germany is, is in the east, in, in Russia. Yep. So it became a sideshow. They, they weren't all that 
fussed about what was what was happening there. Um, I mean, it was great propaganda victory, but I, if you know, if they could win, but I don't think that it was part of the grand strategy anymore. Um, yeah, no way. What do you mean? Like opening up multiple fronts? That's a good, good, good idea, isn't it? Yeah, but but I mean, what? <laughs> Joking. What what is that? So the potential is okay to to get the um, the oil fields, but then to yeah. get all the way for even if they took Egypt, mm. it's still a very long way from um, Egypt all the way up through Turkey. Turkey was okay. was still neutral uh, to get up into the Caucasus and and. Um, you know, attack Stalingrad from the other side, it's still a really fucking long way. Yeah, it's uh, not like you just pop down the corner shop to get some milk. You know, it's no, they're it's, never going to make it that much way. But I mean, that's a good segue into the Africa Corps um, stuff that is in the Western Desert book. So there's um, a bunch of um, different uh, theatre selectors and about you know the Dak Panzer divisions and the, the the light divisions and that kind of thing. Uh, which I think is uh, pretty cool. So the first one is the 1941 Dak Panzer Division. Uh, and that has, um, it basically gives you a, a tank company almost. So you can take three tanks um, from the Panzer 1s, 2s and Well, threes. it's an armoured, look, it's marked, it's an armoured platoon. Armoured platoon, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it's the same as, the same as, as your normal armoured platoon, except it just dictates which, which vehicles you can take. Yeah, and I think that. I mean, what do you think? Do you think um, three Panzer ones, twos, or threes would be strong in this kind of, in like, in match in a normal match play, or is that for? Well, yeah, I, I think they are. I mean, that's that's three three light auto cannons. Um, they don't they don't do too bad. But the thing you've got to look at there, only one to three infantry squads. Mm, that is very big, isn't it? Um, yep. I mean, you can take two MMG squads, but yeah, yeah. Like whatever. So it's not as bad as. Um, for example, that um, reconnaissance squad in the Market Garden book where your infantry squads can only be five guys. Um, so you can take three ten-man squads, which is probably a, not too bad. And look, lots of people do only run, fools like me, um, run three infantry squads. And yeah, they're tooled up and veteran. Um, yeah, and then you've, you've got mortars and uh, two MMGs in there. That's That's... Well, it's not great, but yeah. I mean, if, like, if you just need bodies on, if you just need dice in the bag and bodies on the table, yeah, you, know, you, you might take them. You can do it. Um, they also have um, a couple of special rules. So the um, so the forward the gun special rule is that when German anti-tank uh, units were highly aggressive, so the player may re-roll failed order tests for his anti-tank guns when testing for advance or run orders. What do you think about that, Jail? <laughs> Um, look, I don't think it's a it's a game breaker because you know you're only going to use that if you have to move the move the gun. You know, you you're not going to be doing that if you can help it. So yeah, if you've been um, uh, zeroed in on by a mortar, okay, that's that's cool. The other thing I wanted to mention, though, notice there no snipers, and none of those British lists had any snipers in there either. Oh, that is true. Okay, because. The prevalence of actually using snipers as part of your regular order of battle didn't come in until much later than that. Yeah, we always well, we always forget that when we because it's such a good tool, you know. But um, certainly, there actually is a special entry in the in the free French section, which we'll get to sh- shortly. Yeah. But um, 
It is a one-man sniper, like the like the Japanese. Like the Japanese sniper. Yeah. And they actually call it a marksman or something. Yeah. See, that that was the thing. I mean, snipers as snipers weren't common early war. You did have your marksmen who were included in your regular squads, who were the better shots of the squad, but they weren't considered the the lone sniper. You know, that's just going to pick someone off unawares. They were in the battle line. So, um, was was targeting officers and that kind of thing? Um, was that was that that wasn't the, the, that, uh, the kind of I thing think the I mean the, it's always been a, a a thing in um when when armies didn't have very good marksmanship training that yeah if you found a guy who was a good shot um you would put him out as a skirmisher and try and pick them off but it the what we understand is the modern sort of idea of what a sniper is and what they do um came from the red army um so Red Army in Finland, you know, so it's a real sort of became prevalent after Stalingrad. Yeah, for sure. When they tried to, you know, like one man could stop an entire infantry squad or that kind of thing. Well, in the in the Hollywood version, maybe <laughs> stop an well, entire stop army. It, yeah. stop, not stop it as in kill them all, but like stop them as in like pin them down and slow them down. Yeah, yeah. think that they're think they're up against the entire. And that became quite a common tactic in uh, in Europe after D Day as well. Of, the lone German sniper hidden in a village to slow down the Allied advance while the rest pulled out. I mean, it was a it was a one way mission, but it was a way of slowing down the advance to give everyone else a, a chance to, to fortify or to get back to the next position. Man, who's so, signing up for that? Seriously. Oh, it's all that speed they were taking. <laughs> it seemed like a good idea. <laughs> for glory. It goes back to my comment before. It was like, we need a volunteer and everyone except one guy steps back. <laughs> oh, God. Well, look, the other the other special rule, which I think is um, cooler for, for the Africa Corps, is the German optics. So um, they don't suffer... So German tanks and tank destroyers do not suffer the long-range Negwa modified to hit with their anti-tank guns when using a fire order or ambush order. All right. Now, that raises the question, why haven't they got that rule on panthers and tigers? Oh, my. King tigers <laughs> and, and things, you know. Well, um, I guess it's because... Uh, look, I'm just going to spitball here, but because it's in the desert when there's like a bunch of sand going everywhere... Like, you, you need those optics to see. I don't know. Yeah, the, Help the, me out. Russia's <laughs> big and flat and <laughs> empty. German optics were really high quality. Um, I mean, like you look at the 88 and the stories of how far away they could demolish a Sherman. I mean, you've got to have good optics to be hitting at that range and good sights. Um, no, I think it's a great rule. Do you, so do you think, think about do you think why, why Dresden was bombed? Because the German optical works. was all was in Dresden. In Dresden. Yep. Do you guys think this rule is... Fair, or do you think it's well? I, I think good? it would. I think it would actually mean that uh, taking those big tanks with the eighty eights on them actually starts to be, become a bit more, a bit more viable. It, it does mean because it's it's only a file ambush order, so not advance, which yep. means you have to be stationary. You can't be moving forward. Which I mean is That's realistic. Right. I mean, if you're if you're bouncing around in a vehicle or a tank, it doesn't matter how good your optics are, unless you've got gyro support to stabilize it. Your optics are bouncing everywhere, especially if you're looking at long range. So, I, I think that adds a bit of realism to it, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a, that's a good rule. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see if they um, FAQ that to to apply to yeah all that all sort of later war German tanks. Yeah, right. No, I think I think it's a, uh, a cool rule, and I think it's pretty good. Um, so the 1941 uh, DAC Light Division, 
Uh, do you want to take us through that, JR? Yeah, let's have a look. Okay, so what do we got here? Alright, so it's a reinforced infantry platoon. Um, so, you know, you're not going to get anyone complaining that you're bringing an armoured uh, platoon to an infantry game. The major difference is you can take two tanks. Uh, it has to be either a Panzer I, a uh, Panzer II, um, a Mark III G or H, um, a four D or E. Um, so that's not the long-barreled beastie one, but still. Um, Panzer Jäger I, Panzer Jäger 38T. Yeah, so all, all the sort of eligible stuff that was kicking around in, in 1941, you get two of them. Um, so potentially, again, with the entry for a triple two in the armoured car slot, you could be running three auto cannons uh, at a pretty modest cost. I mean, the Panzer II is not an expensive. You could you could unit. be running an absolute infantry blender, two Panzer ones. That's what twenty four dice for machine guns, right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And those, the Panzer ones are pretty good value, I reckon. But normally, yeah. the thing that like kind of balances them. Um, is that they do take up their tank slot, but if you've got two yeah. tank slots, it mm. makes it makes it a lot a little bit ta- tastier, I yeah. reckon. Or you could, you could take a um, you know um, uh, assault gun, anti tank, yeah, mobile anti tank. Take there. your Panzer Jaeger Eins, um, mm. so with your AT forty seven mil on it, um, and run it right next to a, a Panzer One. So there's your anti infantry, mm. um, nice and light, um, cheap points and. You know, some decent punch for, for what you spend in the points. On. The, the only drawback I can really see here is um, zero to four infantry. So if for whatever reason you wanted to take five infantry squads, you, you can't. You can only take a maximum of four. Um, oh, there's a sniper team in there. Yeah, there is too. Look at that. Oh, <laughs> breaking, yeah. the, breaking the fluff. No, I think, I, I mean... I, I think that's cool. You can take two tanks, but obviously you've got um, a little bit of a drawback, but being only able to take four infantry, which probably scales up. Um, like when you're playing a thousand or twelve hundred points or something, it scales uh, up a bit no, here we differently. Go. There we go. The other thing is, even though this is a reinforced infantry platoon, <clears throat> you must have enough transport vehicles to transport all your infantry and artillery. Oh, there you go. So, so you're going to need uh, some trucks. Yeah, which was was very much a desert thing. I mean, because there's such mm-hmm. vast distances they were covering and the rapid ebb and flow of the battle, if it was just foot slogging, your mm-hmm. troops would make it to the next battle. Yeah. You've got the heat, oh, you've exactly. got the supply, but- and you've got um, how quick the battle lines change mm-hmm. quite often. So, so, you, so you're say, looking at yeah. um, 160 points worth of trucks yeah. at least. At least. Yep. So does that mean, you, you, yeah, like, just confirming you have to take um, a truck if you want to take a sniper or... or no, a mortar, no, no, or? there must be room for them. But if yeah. you were taking 10-man squads, okay, right, you can fit 12 guys in a squad. So, yeah, you get the infantry squad and, you know, your officer or a medic or whatever. But you would need at least four of them if your infantry squads are 10 men. Yeah, right. Yeah. Time to start stocking up on the old uh, Opal Blitzers. Mm. So that that means that, yeah, you would be starting to make some interesting decisions. Uh, you know, those 
two pans of twos. I don't know. They're cheap though. They're they're not expensive. No, I mean a pans of ones only seventy points. I think from memory. Yeah. Um, yep. I would like to see that list on the table. I reckon that'd be quite a nice looking and thematic army of mm. a convoy of trucks. I mean, you know, you you do up a, a nice uh, army display board, throw in a, a water truck and a fuel truck off to the side to add to your, your army board. I think that could be quite a quite a nice looking uh, force. Not that it's going to be on the table, but I mean, for your army display board, if you really want to go over the top with um, with really making a diorama out of it, mm. you know, you, you set up a little base camp, you have your water truck there, your fuel truck. Um, yeah, I reckon that could be quite a nice modelling and hobby project, really. Yeah. Well, there's some other special rules that go with this as well. Um, so, forward the guns is the same as uh, we were discussing for the Panzer Division 1. But you get a rule called Desert Fighters. Um, so due to the inclusion of ethnic Arab and former Foreign Legion personnel in the 90th, they get the Desert Fighters trait. What does that actually do? Which, that, that's actually quite, um, that adds quite a lot of flavour to it. Because, I mean, in the lead up to World War Two, the Germans sent a lot of troops to join the French Foreign Legion to, to undermine its strength from, and, and to get experience from the inside, and of course, when when the war started, the legion kicked out a lot of the soldiers that who were Germans, and those those troops went straight into the Africa Corps because most of them were stationed in North Africa to begin with. Um, so I, I do like that uh, little bit of uh, flavour and fluff included in that. Yeah, it's cool. for sure. I think I think I read that rule before, um, like earlier, and it's I think I'm pretty sure that Desert Fighters is uh, you ignore the like the weather effects and that kind of thing when you're playing in the. You know, like the the hazards and that yeah. kind of thing. Like yep. if it's too so hard it's, it's or... not game breaking, but okay. it adds some flavour to the to but, the list. And again, you probably wouldn't take it if you're playing match play, but if you're playing in a in a desert desert war um, setting, but does um, it cost any extra points for desert fighters? So then it just so it's all automatic. Oh, so good, really, yeah. it's not it's not a game breaking rule by by a long shot, but it's just a nice little bit of fluff piece in there, which which I, I like being a narrative game. Like uh, at heart, I, I enjoy that little bit of fluff, even if it doesn't really have a bearing on the game itself. I just enjoy like going, okay, this is really I can really personalize this army or this list to what I really want to represent on the table, whether or not it's effective or not. So uh, there's another entry for a DAC anti-tank gun platoon. Um, so yeah, you just get two two uh, AT guns. You only get one infantry squad. You get zero to three LMG teams, so that's a that's another one that's a little bit different. Um. So, um, well, I could, well, no, we'll finish this off. Um, so that only one infantry team for, and then two uh, two guns. How are you actually feeling the points? Uh, no, it's, well, it's whatever this thing about the LMG teams. We were talking about that before about that it's an infantry squad with no. So it's. Um, it's basically an MMG team. So it's 50 points, it's three men, but obviously it's an LMG, so you get one less shot. So in a, in a German army, you get five instead of six. Um, so it's the same points, but you can move and fire, um, mm. which mm, okay. 
I think that's pretty good. And we were talking about before, you're not going to be able to snipe them off like you can in MMG no, or HMG. You, you can, yeah. They're still a small team. Are they? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, look, I think this is this is one that's definitely for for scenario play. Yeah. You can't take, really take objectives with this. On, on that, I would have liked to have seen a dug-in AT rule, perhaps, because... Um, there's quite a few accounts, especially the 88s, being dug in into the desert, and British tankers not knowing where the shots come from, or the shots going so low that they actually leave divots in the sand, like trails, like fire trails of where the air pressure is parted the sand, like parting the waves, and then striking the tanks nice and low. Um, I would have liked to have seen some sort of rule for that, even if it's scenario based, just to add that extra bit of flavour to the to the book. Um. This one's maybe a bit more interesting. So Armoured Recon Platoon, um, it's regarded as a reinforced platoon, so it's not an armoured platoon. Again, that's that's something interesting. Uh, zero to three infantry, but they are motorbikes or infantry squads. Um, zero to two, art- so potentially two artillery units, um, light AT guns and flak. Uh, zero to two armored cars and one tank. Again, you've got to have enough trucks to to keep all the the boys moving. Makes sense, that, yeah. That seems to be a common thing in 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 fact all of this. That's good. Sorry, was it two two armored cars? Mm, yeah, because it's a recon. Zero to two, yeah. Yeah, it's a recon. And armored cars are normally pretty tasty. So hello, triple twos. Oh baby. Yep. Or eight rads. Yeah, no, I think that's good because they're pretty rad. Um, and then we just get, I guess, 1942 and do they go up to 43? No, it's just 42 um, versions of those with, with slightly upgraded equipment. Yeah, the Panzer fours and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, and then we move over to the Free French. Um, so, yeah, obviously the Free French, uh, we're, we're fighting around uh, North Africa trying to, tr- trying to keep their legitimacy um, in the face of both both their own native guys like in in France um, but also to the to the British because they they wanted to prove hey we we want to fight for our cause you know like we we've defected i guess well they've kind of defected but we also want to fight for our homeland um and and so the western desert book has, has actually brought the free french uh, list to life and they've brought well, some new special rules there for was that. previously a pdf i think for the free french wasn't there Ah uh, yes, I think so. There was, um, but so I mean, it, I guess it makes it official now, does it? Well, if it's in the in the book, yeah. Um, so they've got some new special rules as well. Um, so when they're fighting around Beer Hakim and that kind of thing. Uh, so the fighting French. So all units uh, re-roll unsuccessful morale checks. Um, the second result stands. So again, that that goes back to um, like the the Soviet kind of rules and that kind of thing. Um, so they've got the colonial veterans, um, which is not really a special rule, but in, no inexperienced troops can be can be used, um, which I mean represents it, you know like all the the foreign legion guys are really experienced guys. Um, although I guess if they're using um, like kind of native North Africans and that kind of thing, like it'd be nice to be able to represent them, some of them as inexperienced. So yeah, I'm not sure. Well, I, I think um, it kind of represents the veterans of some of the colonial wars and the, the minor uprisings and the banditry and stuff like that in some of those areas which were quite lawless. Um, and I mean, that was, the, the Foreign Legion has a history of 
of uh, of that sort of final stand in the desert against uh, the native uprising type thing. So I think it kind of represents that sort of fact that a lot of those troops had seen a lot of action previously. Oh, I think I think it's a, a really characterful rule. If it it doesn't really change your army building, it's like it's more it's more nah. a theater selector, right? Like yeah, because yeah. because they were out in places like Djibouti for ages. You know, they were fighting the the leader of of that part of the world. What was his name? Sheikh 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 Djibouti. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, drop drop the mic. Oh. You're out. You're You've out. been waiting all night for that one, haven't you? You've been waiting all night. Been down the barrel, just waiting to waiting to be fired. <laughs> oh my lord! Um, now look, so the the Free French also have the the Ford Artillery Doctrine, which is like the same as the Free, the French, but they can't take medium um, howitzers. That's the only difference for that. But they can take light howitzers, light and medium anti tank guns. Uh, but the uh, they have the Desert Fighters rule, as we were talking about before. Um, but the, the interesting one is this, uh, the Seuss officer, which means that um, I was reading this before and it's, I, it's one of the more characterful ones. It basically means that if your officer dies and there's a, um, a unit within 12 inches, um, basically the NCO of that unit will become um, uh, the, the, the new uh, lieutenant. Do they have a version, version of that for medics? Uh, no. So we, we can't that? have Dr. Seuss? <laughs> Another one I can see Chamber you're ready just, to go. You're on fire tonight. <laughs> it's, it's Sue. Sue? Sue, yeah. It's, Sue? In French, no, it's Sue, like you have a sous chef or a Sue officer. Yeah. Like a It's Seuss. hard for a man, boy called Sue, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, listeners, that you have to put up with this awful dad butchering. Of, <laughs> no, but between your dad jokes and my butchering of, of, of European... Of any language other than English. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want from me? We've got to give him some of those big German compound words. Yes. <laughs> so you see on YouTube the, uh, the beauty of the German language and those like the real stern voice just pounding out the German words. Yeah, well, it's just like, you know, butterfly and all these <laughs> different languages. And this. <laughs> Ambulance. Oh Krankenwagen. <laughs> oh, my God. No, I really need to get Duolingo and just be like, hey, please teach me some some stuff so, it, so I'm okay. You didn't pick any of this up from your, your interlopers I don't for talk, all those months? I don't talk to my interlopers. They can't smell. <laughs> your occupying power. <laughs> Wait, axed your couch. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? No, wait, ha- hang on a minute. How do you say, um, please clean the fucking bathroom in French? I have Google Translate on my phone. <laughs> All right, well, while you're doing that, I'm going to talk the rest about this Seuss officer. <laughs> um, no, I think I, I think it's quite characterful. Um, basically, the, the logic is that there was, there was heaps of like... Um, free French NCOs that, you know, like a kind of veterans from, from different wars, like the Spanish Civil War and the colonial campaigns, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of aspiring kind of up-and-comers that are happy to, to take the reins. Aspiring champions. That's right. Mm. Um, and it's also good. Like, I mean, they could have easily copy and pasted the um, the German special rule, which is um, on a two-plus. Jeez, they really gave that guy a pair of short shorts, didn't they? Short shots? Oh, this guy. Yeah, look at look at that. Compared to the British ones that are like these big floppy things, he's got his like 
French always leading the fashion, always little, on the little, cutting edge. Little tight but he doesn't. He doesn't have a. He doesn't have a um, a mustache. This is page one hundred nineteen for anyone playing home. Um, uh, so they've got some. So some you're saying that every Frenchman must have a mustache? Uh, yes. Otherwise, they're not a real French person. Obviously. Um, we don't deal in ethnic stereotypes <laughs> here at the Bacon Burgers. So, <laughs> the Free French Forces also have a zero to three infantry squad. Oh, no, actually, they can take two infantry squ- No, it doesn't matter. They can take up to five. They're a normal, normal platoon. Don't you worry about that. Um, we're going to move on a little bit um, because there's... So, there's... Look, we're not going to get to it all, but there's basically heaps of special rules um, for the LRDG, the Auto Sahariana, and they're, they're all kind of like the special forces rules that kind of... Um, Great more murder wagons. Yeah, well, I mean, it kind of represents. So they're they're very unconventional um, forces that 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 you know, like they weren't frontline infantry, like they weren't frontline troops. They're kind of rolling around in the desert, kind of picking off the back lines, having these little skirmishes, like hit and run kind of things. Um, I can hear Hari just cackling with glee as as he hears the contempt in my voice when I mention murder wagons. Oh, would you like to give us some context on that? <laughs> As I mentioned last episode, Harry and I squared off. Uh, we've squared off a couple of times, and every time he's brought in what I like to call his murder wagon, i.e. an SAS Jeep with more machine guns than you can poke a stick at, and it's always chewed me up. Uh, our last battle, uh, my SNLF versus his uh, uh, Brits, my one sole goal for the entire game was to destroy that murder wagon. Now, with entire lists made of murder wagons, I can see Hari just chomping at the bit to uh, grudge me again. So, Hari, yes, I will accept your challenge. Uh, I will take a murder wagon list against your murder wagon list and may the best murder wagons win. Wait, when are you guys playing each other again? Uh, I think he's talked about coming down in December. Um, so he's not going to make it to to the no. To he's not. He's not going to be able to make uh, suns out guns out. I don't believe. But um, uh, for the I could Possible. see his Indians rolling around pretty well on that. Well, he actually just sold his Indian army. <laughs> You're kidding. Yep, uh, because he's going to redo it with the new uh, the new plastics, the new plastics that have come out. So he's gone from Perry to the Warlord plastics, I believe. Oh, that'll look uh, that'll look better. Um, I mean, I do like the Perry miniatures, but I think it's just it'll it allow it allow for uh, a lot of extra add-ons that are in the same scale. I mean, you're kind of limited as much as, yeah, the Perry's are great sculpts, but you are quite limited for what you can tack onto that force without uh, massive size discrepancies. You know what? For years, well, not years, but for quite a while, I was going to do um, a DAC force with, with the Perry miniatures. Um, but when I found out they were so small, I kind of... I, I was the same. Um, I, bought, um, I bought a box of maybe two boxes of the Brits, and uh, one box of the DAC. Uh, I gave Hari both boxes of my British. And I've got the DAC there and I keep meaning to send them up to him. Uh, I will get them sent to you very shortly, Hari, I promise. Um, it won't be December before you get them. Um, but yeah, I, as soon as I saw the difference in scales, I've gone... Because I've got a lot of artisan stuff. And you put uh, Perry next artisan. <laughs> it's like, okay... Malnutrition. These, yeah. <laughs> he, he, here's the preschoolers and here's the adults. You know, it's just... Uh, both got great sculpts, just different sizes. So, um, yeah, I think that's what motivated Hari to uh, to move his uh, Perry's on, and uh, he's going with the new plastics. 
All right. Now, just before we wrap up, I wanted to to bring this up, given that we've spent so much time talking about uh, the Western Desert campaign. Now, this this is a boxed set uh, hexed based war game. Ah, yes. Uh, which is called the Campaign for North Africa. Apparently, nobody has ever admitted to finishing this they thing. Didn't even finish playtesting it, I believe. It's been clocked in at at least fifteen hundred hours to play this thing and uh one of one of its famous quirks is italian troops in world war ii were outfitted with a ration of noodles and in the name of historical accuracy in this game the player responsible for for playing the italians is required to distribute an extra water ration to all of their forces so that their pasta can be boiled <laughs> if they do not receive their, their pasta ration they will immediately become disorganized rendering them useless in the game this um it's interesting that you bring this up this game actually uh had a revival in popular popularity recently uh, actually featured on an episode of big bang theory where sheldon brings this along as a way of keeping uh, people occupied and organizes the whole cast into playing different roles so the premise of the game is um, each person takes on a different role be it uh, like quartermaster or admiral of the navy or you know chief of the air force or general of the land forces everyone has a specific role and it's best played with eight to ten players per side uh, so once that uh, that episode aired, it actually this game got a resurgence of of sales on eBay and and collectors sites as everyone scrambled to get this game, which no one will ever finish, and no one will ever probably you know even get a quarter of the way into. But um, yeah, quite quite an interesting piece. But yeah, the story goes, um, not even the designers finished playing it; they gave up playtesting after a couple of days and just went. It's good enough. We'll just let's put it let's just put it out there. We've put enough work into it now. If, if, if it's this complex, we've put enough work in. Let's just ship it out. How far did you get through it? <laughs> I have, having said that, I have <laughs> contemplated trying to find a copy of it because of the map. It would make a great map for a club narrative campaign. It's mm. such a big map. It's got such a, a, a scope for maneuvering your, your different elements it could really make a really over-the-top, over-complex club campaign. Well, you're looking at at least 500 bucks for a copy. Yeah, well... <laughs> and whether it would have all of those umpteen thousand little chits and counters and <laughs> <laughs> shit in there after all this time. Because that, that, ga- that game's older than I am. I, that's, I, that's pretty old. I kind of think most copies would still have all the little chits in it because given the game is so in-depth... Most people wouldn't have even got through punching them all up. I've gone, well, screw this. Like this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go play with my airfix. <laughs> one, one of the interesting things I, I've noticed just flicking through, that uh, th- this is coming from an article on um, kotaku.com.au if you want to want to look this up. Um, but it's mentioning that, that the guy hired, rented the game from his game shop. So back in the in the 70s, during the, the initial sort of boom in um, b- before a minute, well, I guess in parallel to miniature war games, there were a lot of pen and paper uh, war games from Avalon Hill. Avalon Hill was a big yeah. name back then yep. in the games. Uh, so it looks like they would rent it to you rather than making it making you buy it. You might rent it from your local friendly game shop for a couple of weeks and then take it back when you were done. <laughs> what a weird concept that is. Yeah. 
I'd be more worried about it. If, if what I'm, is what I'm renting complete? Am I going to get all the pieces or am I just paying? You, you get yeah. 1,400 hours through and you realize yeah, that you're missing the, the, one The one piece. last token for my pasta ration is missing. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Oh, well, guys. Well, um, one last thing I wouldn't yeah. mind, since we have mentioned uh, old Hari uh, numerous times, I wouldn't mind giving a shout out to an event that he's running, if that's okay. Yeah, go for it. Um, Hari's running his first event. Um, so our crazy Queensland, Queen, Queenslander. Yes, I said you're a Queenslander, Hari. Uh, live with it. Um, has decided to throw his hat in the ring for TOing an event. So he is looking at running an event on the 15th of December. Uh, 1250 points, single reinforced platoon, 16 order dice cap, and armored platoons allowed, provided their armor seven or less and open topped. Uh, it's going to be running at the Caboolture Combined Service Hall. It's New South Wales. We all hang it on Hari for being a Queenslander, but yes, it's going to be in New South Wales. So if you're interested, uh, get in contact with Hari. Uh, you can easily find him on the Bolt Action Australia page on pretty much every single post. Definitely. And, uh, Just look for him. You're every single post. Yeah. Commenting, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Oh, look, you know. And um, yeah, I look forward to... Uh, rolling dice against him in December when he pops down for uh, an, an event, which I may be looking at doing. So, but He's super keen. Like, he, he travels to a lot of events. Oh, yeah, And yeah. I, th- I think that's great. He's, um, um, he's kept my motivation going on numerous occasions. Like, oh, Hari, he goes, what are you painting? I'm like, uh. He goes, look at this. Look at this new list I've done. And I've gone, oh. And then he goes, oh, look at this. I've just painted this. And then I'm like, you know what? I'll get the motivation going again. So That's good. Crap the wit. Yeah, yep. Now, look, um, as we've alluded to before, Guns Out, Sun, Sun's Out, Guns Out, is it? Sun's yep, Out, Sun's Guns Out. out. Guns out. Uh, so, Brad, Brad's event is in a couple of weeks um, of since the recording um, on 6th of October at uh, Good Games Melbourne, which yep. I, I love that venue. It's super central in uh, in the CBD. Especially now um, I know about the uh, cheap parking next door and not having to park 10 blocks away. Is yeah, it? Yeah, Brad oh, well, was I, mean, the... I, I just catch the tram or ride my bike, but... Um, Classic in, a, classic in classic in a city <laughs> fucking dweller, but uh, no, that's going to be a lot of fun. So he's made it nine hundred eighty points, um, which is basically a thousand points. But I think he just wants to be different. Um, but you know, it's it's cool. Might 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 stop you from taking um, a small unit or two, or drop one, a medic off. you know, drop a medic or, <laughs> or a sniper. I don't know. Um, but he's he's made it a, a hard cap of twenty players. Um, so and it's going to be a narrative event. Um, as uh, Stop the Hoff was a couple of months ago, um, which uh, Mr. Lee Avery run. Um, but basically, it'd be Axis and Allies uh, fighting fighting over, I think it was Tunisia. Yeah, it's a it's a North African desert-themed event, so... Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. I'm keen to, keen to get my French done. Um, so, you listeners have uh, don't have to keep... Uh, hearing about my progress, I can start maybe another project. Uh, Rubes, you're going to run your DAC. Yep, yep. The 90th Light uh, Infantry Division is coming out to play again. Are you going to run a Pans 1? I haven't got one up in DAC colours, but I will be bringing out the old uh, SIG, uh, the SIG 33, the the um, one of the Rommel's Funnies. I think that's going to come out and play again. So. Oh, that'd be cool. Um, and Jail, were you thinking of borrowing an army or? Uh, well, I think I can can bring my my brutes for um, Italy or Tunisia. 
the so they're wearing the long pants. Um, Western Europe, but I'm sure it still fits with the desert. I mean, warm days, cold nights. Yeah, the bases are are very green for that, but what the hell? It'll be something different. Something Mediterranean. No, I mean, like, I I guess if you theme it a little bit around like the vehicles and stuff, like, would you be able to do that? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, the vehicles are again painted in uh, European green, but we can live with that. So I was thinking I would take the uh, Churchill AVRE. Um, Yeah. Just uh, see how that goes. The the body remover, <laughs> flying dustbin. I was going to say the uh, start launching dustbins at people. <laughs> Wait, what's this with the Churchill? Oh, that, that's the the Churchill that's got the enormous mortar on the yeah. front. Yeah. Uh, oh, is it heavy? Heavy mortar? Uh, it's like a heavy howitzer. Heavy, yeah, it's heavy short, howitzer. Short yeah. range, but very it's, short uh, range. It was designed to basically, I think, punch through bunkers and take out bunkers at short range. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's a beast, but it's slow. Um, well, was it running around in North Africa? I don't know. I may have to run it as a, a standard Churchill, but <laughs> I'll have to look all that shit up. I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm 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 not one hundred percent if if I'm going to go. I mean, look, I I don't have a uh, Africa Army kind of kitted up to to go, and I've got a bunch of other stuff kind of on the go at the moment. So I'll I'll see in the next week um, how I feel. No, well, hopefully you can make it, but if not, certainly Rubes and I will uh, be thrown down. Yep. Um, uh, it'd be interesting because 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 my French army is like I mean it's very heavily themed around Vichy. Um, I like I kind of said to Brad, hey, um, I can I'd like to go on the Axis because you know like that's the theme, but obviously like depending on your numbers, I'm happy to go with the Allies and and kind of help out. But um, we'll see how that goes. Hopefully I can get it all painted, but if not, that's all good. But um, look, you've been listening to The Bacon Burgers. If you've uh, got any feedback for us, we'd love to hear it on our Facebook page. Um, I, particularly, we've been, we, we try and get content out on our blog, so hopefully you've read that. Um, give us some feedback on that. would be great as well. Do you boys have any uh, closing out thoughts? No. No, I'm trying to think of like a Jerry Springer-esque... Uh, Jerry's thought for the day, but um, I'm drawing a blank at the moment. But uh, well, give us a Simpsons quote or something. Oh, Simpsons quote. Um, oh, I almost want to go with some from very early Simpsons, where Bart goes to France. Since we've been discussing the French so much, but something about antifreeze in the wine or something like that. But I just—it's been so long. Um, the one where the, the French guy is working at, at Euro Disney, and he's like. Nobody's coming. It's like, <laughs> no, my children need wine. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, no! This, this isn't a racist podcast. I swear. No. All <laughs> right. Good night, everyone. Good night. Bye.